नमस्ते द टर्म प्री हिस्ट्री वॉज कॉइंट बाई डेनियल विल्सन एंड हैज बिन यूज एवर सिंस टू रेफर टू द पीरियड ऑफ ह्यूमन हिस्ट्री बिफोर द इन्वेंशन ऑफ राइटिंग इट इज द लॉन्गेस्ट पीरियड ऑफ द ह्यूमन पास्ट दिस पीरियड इज ऑल्सो कॉल्ड द स्टोन एज एज स्टोन वॉज चीफ मटीरियल यूज बाई अर्ली मैन फॉर हिज सर्वाइवल द स्टोन एज हैज बिन डिवाइडेड इन टू पेलियोलिथिक मेसोलिथिक एंड न्योलिथिक फॉलोड बाय ब्रॉन्च एंड आयन एज पीरियड पेलियोलिथिक और द ओल्ड स्टोन एज इज द लॉन्गेस्ट फेज ऑफ प्री हिस्ट्री कवरिंग द टाइम फ्रॉम टू एम वाई ए टू टेन थाउजेंड बी सी इट वॉज कैरेक्टराइज बाय द मेकिंग ऑफ चिप्ड और फ्लेक स्टोन टूल्स एंड वेपन्स एंड बाय अ हंटिंग गैदरिंग वे ऑफ लाइफ माइक्रोवेयर एनालिसिस ऑफ पेलियोलिट्स सजेस्ट देयर यूज फॉर पर्पजेज रेंजिंग फ्रॉम हंटिंग बचरिंग स्किनिंग ऑफ एनिमल्स डिगिंग ऑफ रूट्स टू मेकिंग वुडन टूल्स एंड वेपन्स द डॉक्यूमेंटेशन ऑफ एविडेंस बिगैन विद द डिस्कवरी इन एटीन सिक्सटी थ्री ऑफ द फर्स्ट पेलियोलिथिक टूल अ हैंड एक्स एट पल्लेवरम नियर मेड्रॉस बाय रॉबर्ट ब्रूस फूट कॉल द फादर ऑफ इंडियन प्री हिस्ट्री पेलियोलिथिक साइट्स अकर इन ऑलमोस्ट ऑल पार्ट ऑफ द इंडियन सब कॉन्टिनेंट स्पैनिंग द फूट हिल्स ऑफ द हिमालयाज इन द नॉर्थ टू तमिलनाडु इन द साउथ एंड फ्रॉम पेशावर एंड सिंध इन द वेस्ट टू बंगाल इन द ईस्ट इन द नॉर्थ Rivath in the valley of river Son in, in the, the Potwar plateau has reported the earliest pebble tools dating back to 2 million years. Paleolithic age is further characterized into three parts: Lower Paleolithic period, Middle Paleolithic period and Upper Paleolithic period. The Lower Paleolithic period in India is generally dated from 2 MYA to 100,000 years ago. The Middle Paleolithic from 100000 to 40000 years ago and the upper from 40000 to 10000 years ago stratigraphic profiles have revealed a clear evolution of lithic technology from lower to middle to upper paleolithic hence though early paleolithic tools including large chopping tools hand axes and cleavers did not cease to be used smaller lighter flake tools were the evident choice by the middle paleolithic in the upper paleolithic also while older tool types continued to be used for activities that required heavier tools the preference was for small tools an increase in the number of burins and the making of parallel sided blades now characterized by the toolkit the successive reduction in the size and weight of tools is not only indicative of better motor skills but also an increasing brain size that facilitated the planning of such varied techniques requiring precision the tool types of the three phases are believed to represent three stages of human evolution traditionally the indian lower paleolithic has been divided into two tool traditions the son culture was represented by pebble based tools called chopper chopping tools and The Acheulean culture was characterized by tools called hand axes and cleavers. Most of the tools were bigger in size and used for chopping, digging and skins of animals. Sites: Bhimbetka is situated 45 km south of Bhopal in Raisin district of Madhya Pradesh. It is famous for its caves and rock shelters formed by natural process of weathering of the sandstone of the Vindhya hills. The Acheulean or the lower paleolithic period deposit is the thickest and includes tools like scrapers, cleavers and hand axes. 
the belan valley of uttar pradesh in the region stretching from allahabad to varanasi revealed a complete sequence from the lower paleolithic to the neolithic and even later times other sites like pahalgaon didwana nagarjun konda and bori in maharashtra also revealed the lower paleolithic cultures technologically the middle paleolithic period was characterized by tools made of medium sized flakes The assemblage now comprised of tools thinner and smaller than those of the lower paleolithic and included a variety of scrapers borers and points sites the occurrence of middle paleolithic artifacts in reddish brown soil in the thar region indicates a cooler wetter and more humid climate with more abundant vegetation and more surface water compared to the lower paleolithic middle and upper paleolithic tools are also found around jaisalmer in maharashtra navasa and patna are the most important sites which yielded upper paleolithic sites the upper paleolithic assemblage was marked by further reduction in the size and weight of tools which were now dominated by parallel sided blades and burins the techniques used was of pressure flaking which produced smaller tools with more effective cutting edges and also resulted in less wastage of raw material it has been argued that the main advantage of upper paleolithic tools was that being lighter they could be carried over long distances if necessary the upper paleolithic mainly sees the coming of blade tools made on flakes such as burins and parallel sided blades sites Various composite tools were excavated from regions of Kashmir, Madhya Pradesh, Chhota Nagpur, Maharashtra, Andhra Pradesh. Upper Paleolithic and Mesolithic tools were also retrieved from the site of Bagor in Sindh district. The Mesolithic stage, also known as Middle Stone Age from 9000 to 4000 BC, coincides with the beginning of Holocene era around 10000 BC. it witnessed a change in climate from cold to warm and wet growth in formation of rivers resulted in growth of forests and vegetations the mesolithic people were pioneers and experimenters who were preparing themselves to enter the cycle of food the remains of pollens at certain sites gives us hints to transition from advanced hunter gatherers starting cultivation and leading a semi sedentary lifestyle people lived in huts with stone paved floors and the only clear evidence in the reconstruction of the subsistence pattern of the region is through the animal bones which were found in large numbers these were mainly sheep goat humped cattle etc the economy was therefore based on a combination of hunting gathering and food production the period paved to many new developments the mesolithic period saw the tools becoming smaller and compact these tools were known as the microliths such as triangles trapezoids points blades and fish hooks microliths were generally made of chert quartzite agate jasper blades and scrapers through pressure flaking technique a major mesolithic site is Chopani Mandu showed a large number of geometric microliths, handmade pottery, hammers and ring stones. On the other hand, Bagor near Rajasthan is the largest Mesolithic site excavated in India and it has yielded three cultural phases in which phase 1 is dated from 5300 BC to 3800 BC, phase 2 from 2500 BC to 1000 BC. 
and last phase from 500 BC to 200 CE. The Mesolithic culture in Bhimbetka is well defined. There is sudden increase in population seen from the occupation of more caves in the area. Various microliths like blades, triangles and crescents were excavated here. The presence of ash, charcoal and charred bones of animals tell us about the use of fire. People mainly lived in caves but there were also evidences of people living in open air campsites. In peninsular India, microliths of quartz and chert were found in the vicinity of Mumbai, Chennai, Nagarjun Konda and coastal tracts of Vishakhapatnam. The Neolithic or New Stone Age from 7000 to 1000 BC saw the advent of food production, agriculture and animal husbandry independently in different parts of the world. It is believed that a combination of climate change, demographic pressure and different cultural and technological strategies triggered this massive change. Necessity is the mother of invention, goes the old saying. Food production too, if seen in this context, can be said to have evolved out of necessity. The first person who gave us a proper idea of how food production began was Gordon B. Child. The term Neolithic Revolution was coined by Gordon Child to emphasize on the progress that happened during the Neolithic period. The progress from a hunting gathering to food producing economy and the consequent growth of farming, farming communities and settled village life. With the beginning of agriculture, people started settling down in one place. Sedentism, a key feature of the Neolithic, proof of agriculture comes from remains of charred seeds of domesticated plants and that of animal domestication from the bones and teeth of animals showing significant morphological changes. Neolithic households normally lived in built huts of mud, reeds, logs, stones or vithis plastered with clay. For assistance in such activities, they manufactured a greatly large assortment of specialized tools. Archaeologists take the polished stone eggs as the hallmark of Neolithic equipment. Unlike the lighter and sharper tools of the Paleolithic and Mesolithic, the Neolithic toolkit was composed of heavy ground and polished tools. Chisels, cells, adzes, sickles, pestles, mortars, grinders and pounders and stone axes, bone tools for harvesting wild or domestication of plants and animals. Mortars and pestles were used for grinding grains whereas edges cells were used for tilling and digging the ground. Pottery invention of wheel and crafts like spinning, weaving and bead making reveal both the skills and exchange networks of Neolithic people. Sides The earliest evidence of agricultural life based on wheat, barley, cattle, sheep and goat in the subcontinents come from the site of Mehergarh on the bank of the Bolan River in the Kachi plain of Baluchistan. It is an acerimic level with stone tools consisting of polished axes, chisels, quans and microliths and bone tools comprising owls, needles, etc. The Neolithic character of the site can be gleaned from bones of cattle, sheep and goats indicating their domestication as also the bones of water buffalo, which is the earliest instance of the domestication of this animal in the subcontinent. Evidence of plant domestication comes from the charred seeds of wheat and barley 
as also Indian jujube and dates. The beginning of sedentism is evident from foundations of mud brick houses and small cell-like compartments which might have been used for storage of grains. Evidence of the North Indian Neolithic cultures comes mainly from the Kashmir Valley and is represented by a large number of sites above the flood plains of River Jhelum. The two principal sites of the area are Burjoho and Gufkral, northeast and southeast of Srinagar respectively. The Neolithic people of Burjhom, beginning with period 1st, around 2700 BC, lived in circular or oval-shaped lakeside pit dwellings and subsisted on a hunting and fishing economy, being familiar also with agriculture. Calcolithic culture 4000 to 13000 Calcolithic culture This period is marked by locally available copper, which indicated the existence of sedentism. Copper smelting was also found to be practiced here during the period. This conclusion has been arrived from the traces of copper found on terracotta, cubicles and presence of broken needles, copper beads, sickles, fish hook, wire and rings. In the burial system, sometimes more than one person was buried together. Ornaments were also found sometimes along with the grave goods. Discoveries reveals that there was also practice of agriculture and domestication of cows, sheep and goat. Various sites like Ganeshwar, Malwa region of Rajasthan, Imamgaon, Chiran, Senor, South India saw the advent of Calcolithic culture which was further followed by Bronze Age culture. In certain areas, the process of food production and its association and cultural developments eventually led to the emergence of proto-urban settlements and then full-fledged sites. The Rig Vedic Age, which is also known as the Early Vedic Age. The word Veda is derived from the root Ved, which means to know. The four Vedas, Rig Veda, Yajur Veda, Sam Veda and Athar Veda are the oldest surviving texts which possess knowledge par excellence and gave their name to the era in which they were compiled. The Rig Veda, which is the oldest Vedic text, reflects one stage of social and cultural development, whereas the other three Vedas reflect another stage. The first stage is known as the Rig Vedic period or early Vedic period and the later stage is known as the later Vedic period. The age of the early Vedic period corresponds with the date of the composition of the Rig Vedic hymns that is 1500 BCE to 1000 BCE. The Rig Veda refers to Sapta Sindhu or the land of seven rivers. This includes the five rivers of Punjab namely Jhelum, Chenab, Ravi, Bias and Satlaj along with Indus and Saraswati. The political, social, economic, religious and cultural life of the Rig Vedic people can be traced from the hymns of the Rig Veda. First of all, we will discuss the political organization of the early Vedic age. The early Vedic society was organized on the basis of the family. The head of the family was called the Gahapati. The Gram consisted of several families. It was under a headman known as Gramini. Several villagers formed a wish. It was placed under a Vishpati. He was a military leader. A group of Vish formed a Jana. Gopa was the head of one Jana. Several Janas formed a Janpad or kingdom. 
the rajan or the king was the head of the champal in the work of administration the king was assisted by a number of functionaries like the purohit who was the priest the senani who was the general of the army the gramini who was the village headman and the spas who was spy purohit was the most important officer of the state there were two popular organizations which exercised control over the king the samiti or the general assembly and the sabha the assembly of the few this shows that the kings during this age were not absolute despots but highly responsible to their subjects there were several tribal kingdoms during the rigvedic period such as bharatas matasyas yadus and purus kingship was hereditary the king or the chief enjoyed a position of preeminence in the tribe he was required to be indra in valor mitra in kindness and varun in virtues the military organization of the early vedic age in this era the king did not maintain any regular or standing army but during times of war he mustered militaries the military element was strong in the tribal system of the government the army mainly consisted of patti that was infantry and rathins those were the chariot warriors the weapons used by the soldiers were bows arrows swords axes and spears these weapons were made up of metal the soldiers were organized into units known as sharda vrata and gana early vedic age had a tribal polity in which the tribal chief led wars and was also a protector of the entire group instead of a standing army the entire village participated in wars we will also look into the social conditions of the early vedic age the family was patriarchal and was smallest political unit the father was the head of the family and he was known as grahapati women held an important position in the society no religious ceremony especially yajna could be performed unless the wife joined the husband monogamy was generally practiced that is one man could marry only one woman at a time while polygamy was prevalent among the royal and noble families polyandry and the custom of sati were unknown there was no parda system that is the women did not cover their faces with veil women were given equal opportunities as men for their spiritual and intellectual development there were women poets like apala vishpura ghosha lokmudra and gargi during the rigvedic era a special ceremony called swayamvara was arranged for young girls to choose their own husbands widows remarriage and the practice of levirate was present in the rigvedic society the garments these people usually wore consisted of three parts an undergarment called nivi a garment called vasa or paridhan and a mantle known as adhivasa both men and women wore gold ornaments the women used earrings necklaces bangles anklets and many other ornaments food habits of the rigvedic people consisted of wheat and barley milk and its products like curd and ghee vegetables and fruits were also the chief articles of food fish birds goats rams bulls and horses were slaughtered for food at special occasions slaughter of the cow was prohibited since it was considered a sacred animal people also drank intoxicating drinks known as sura 
in the early vedic age there was no caste system instead they were divided into classes member of the same family could pursue different occupations arts crafts and trades and could change it at will there was hardly any restriction in change of occupation education in rigvedic era there were gurukuls which imparted education to the disciples after their sacred thread ceremony entire instruction was given orally the disciples were taught about ethics art of warfare art of metal and concept of brahma and philosophy and basic sciences like agriculture animal husbandry and handicrafts the economic condition of the people of rigvedic era mainly revolved around the villages as the people lived mainly in villages and agriculture was one of the chief occupations and special attention was given to cattle rearing they plowed the land by means of a pair of oxen the plowed land was known as urvara or kshetra besides the main crops of barley and wheat cotton and oil seeds were also grown cows were worshiped and were symbols of wealth and prosperity sometimes cow was the medium of exchange the wealth of the people was estimated in terms of their cattle the cow seems to be their most valuable possession and the wars were fought for the sake of the cows other animals like horse ox dog goat sheep buffalo and donkey were also domesticated weaving was an important occupation carpentry was also important profession and the availability of wood from the forest cleared made the profession profitable carpenters produced chariots and plows workers in metal made a variety of articles spinning was another important occupation and cotton and woolen fabrics were made goldsmiths were active in making ornaments the potters made various kinds of vessels for domestic use trade was conducted through barter system there were trade and maritime activities sometimes traders made a journey to distant lands for larger profits in trade the cow was used as a unit of value gradually the pieces of gold called nishk were used as a means of exchange trade and commerce were regulated and managed by a group of people called pani rivers served as an important means of transport the chief means of transport by land were rathas and wagons drawn by horses and oxen in spite of worshiping various deities the vedic age saw the prevalence of monotheism they believed in the existence of one supreme power as the creator of the entire universe there is no sign of the use of image worship in the rigvedic times the gods were worshiped by means of sacrifice and prayers the aryans were worshipers of nature the forces of nature were invested with divine powers and worshiped as male or female gods indra was the god of rain thunder and strength agni was the god of fire surya or savitri a solar deity to whom the famous gayatri mantra is dedicated was highly revered varun was the god of wind yam was the god of death marut was the god of storm apart from these gods and goddesses the cosmos was supposed to be peopled by innumerable celestial beings gandhars 
Asuras, Vishvadevas and many others. They did not build temples or idols to worship their gods, but worshiped them by chanting hymns in the open air in praise of them. Yajnas occupied very important place in the early Vedic period. It was performed by the Brahmins. Some special features of Vedic age are Sabha and the Samiti were the most popular ones, but there were many other organizations existing during this age, and those were Sabha, Samiti, Vidat, Gan, and Parishad. Sabha is like modern Rajya Sabha, Samiti is like modern Lok Sabha. And Vidat is the oldest out of which Sabha and Samiti emerged. Gan has been mentioned in the battle fought to establish Vashisht as Purohit and remove Vishwamitra as Purohit. In Rig Veda, Sabha has been mentioned eight times, Samiti is mentioned nine times, Vidat is mentioned 122 times, and Gan is mentioned 46 times. Sabha and Samiti are mentioned as two daughters of Prajapati in Atharvaveda. In Atharvaveda, Sabha is called Narishtha, one which cannot be disobeyed, Anulanganiya. The president of Samiti is known as Ishan. Sabha was a body of elite class, Uchchukulin or people of prominence, Shresht. Male members of Sabha were known as Sabhe and female members were known as Sabhavati. Those who provided security to Sabha were known as Sabhacha. According to Ludwig, Sabha was the upper house in which priests, that is Purohit, and elite class, that is Kulin, used to participate. Sabha also used to work as a court. Samiti was like the lower house. Samiti used to elect the king. King used to carry out his work with the advice of Samiti. Samiti also used to do division of the booty earned by loot and loan. Vidat was the oldest body from which Sabha and Samiti emerged. Vidat used to take social and religious decisions and carry out spiritual discourses. It also used to do division of the crop. Let us take a quick recap. The most popular among these political organizations was Sabha and Samiti. Sabha was like the modern Rajya Sabha and Samiti was like the modern Lok Sabha, the General Assembly. And the oldest one among these was Vidat. Sabha has been mentioned eight times in Rig Veda. Samiti has been mentioned nine times in Rig Veda and Vidat has been mentioned 122 times in Rig Veda. Sabha and Samiti are known as the two daughters of Prajapati in Atharva Veda. Sabha has been called Narishtha, which is Anulangniya, no one can disobey it. And president of Samiti was known as Ishan. Sabha was the upper house. It was joined by the elite class, the Uchukulin, and the people of prominence, the Shresht. Samiti was the lower house. It used to elect and re-elect the king. The king used to work on the advice of Samiti and the booty earned by loot and Loman was also distributed or divided by the Samiti. Vidat used to take social and religious decisions and to carry out spiritual discourses and it also used to do the division of the crop. Apart from Sabha, Samiti and Vidat, Sabha the Rajya Sabha like the Rajya Sabha, Samiti like the Lok Sabha and Vidat the oldest one, there were two more political organizations and they were Gan and Parishad. 
gun has been mentioned 46 times in rigveda whereas we did not find the number of parishad being mentioned in the rigveda gun has specially been mentioned in the battle fought to establish vashisht as purohit and to remove vishwamitra as purohit gun you must have seen is very popular like jan gun bhakt gun vidwat gun gun denotes a group and we see the reference of parishad in rigveda the vern system and the ashram system The Vedic social system is structured by the underlying code of religion. This code is reflected through the basic principle of varn ashram dharma. While the varn deals with division of society, ashram deals with the nature of training and living in four stages of life. Together, they profound a system referred to as varn ashram vyavastha. The varn system was very different from the caste system. Varn is the four divisions of society on the basis of profession adopted by them they are brahmins the priests kshatriyas the warriors vaishyas people following various occupations and shudras those who were serving the upper three classes the rigveda clearly suggests that the members of the rigvedic family practiced different professions the description of one family which is given in the rigveda shows that the head of the family was a potter his wife was a corn grinder and their son was a priest from this data it is inferred by the scholars that there did not exist the hereditary caste system in the life of the people of rigveda during the vedic period the institution of varn was a system of division of labor and was not hereditary like caste system there were no restrictions as regards particular occupations for persons belonging to the particular varn thus the person born as brahman could take the occupation of a physician without thereby any way degrading social status the purush suktam hymn of the 10th mandal of the rigveda which happens to be the last hymn of the sacred work mentions about the creation of the members of four classes in the rigveda brahmano asya mukham asid bahu rajanyah paritah urutal asya yad vaishya padbhyam sudro ajatya the brahman one represented the mouth of purush the universal man the rajan his arms the vaishya his thighs the shudra his feet in the post vedic period the varn division is described in the dharma shastra literature the mahabharat and in the puranas during this time caste percolates into varn system and varn system acquired features of caste interdining and intermarriage between different castes were precluded the division of labor becomes hereditary the first three varnas are described in the dharma shastras as twice born and they are allowed to study the vedas such restriction of who can study vedas is not found in vedic era literature ashram system ashram deals with the nature of training and living in four stages of life the ashram are regarded as the resting places during one's journey on the way to final liberation which is the ultimate aim of life life was divided into four stages known as ashrams they were brahmacharya grihastha vanprastha and sanyas brahmacharya ashram was up to 25 years in this stage or ashram 
the person of the ancient indian society was expected to observe celibacy and devote his time to secure knowledge till he becomes 25 years of age the child in the ancient vedic society was under the care of his parents up to the time of his 5th year of life the parents were expected to teach child elementary rules of proper behavior towards the elders at the age of 5 years the child's thread ceremony that is upnayan sanskar was to be performed and after the performance of the thread ceremony the child was sent to the gurukul where he used to stay with his guru that is teacher to acquire knowledge and skills next was grihast ashram that was from 25 years to 50 years after the completion of his activity of securing knowledge in the brahmacharya ashram the member of the ancient indian societies were required to marry to earn money to have children look after their family and perform all religious rites and ceremonies up to the age of 50 years and after that it was vanprastha ashram that was from 50 years to approximately 75 years vanprastha ashram was a stage of semi retirement for the person who was 50 years of age till he attained the age of 75 years the person in this stage resided in the forest and lived a simple life and was required to give knowledge to the young man of his society and pay attention to his own spiritual development and the last was sanyas ashram in this stage of life one has to attain complete renunciation of worldly relations and attachments in this last stage the individual was free from all obligations has to help himself in the search of true knowledge an individual works on attaining final aim of all existence that is moksha apart from one and ashram system one more deep rooted theory was the theory of four purushartas purushart is a sanskrit word meaning the object of human pursuit or goals of human life it is referred to the four proper goals or aims of human life purushart comprises the concepts of dharm arth kaam and moksha dharm is honest and upright conduct or righteous action arth means a righteous and honest pursuit of economic duties kaam is fulfillment of sexual desires for progeny moksha is liberation that is absorption of the self into eternal bliss depending upon one's deeds that is karma one is able to reach the objective of life that is moksha which means free from the fetters of life and death moksha or liberation means end of the cycle of birth and rebirth the four goals or aims of life can be achieved in different stages or ashrams of life during the brahmacharya ashram one should have a pursuit for knowledge and the purushartha that is attained is dharma it is dharma is not religion dharma is duty during the grihastha ashram one has to work to earn wealth and has to marry for progeny and the fulfillment of the aim that happens here is earth and kaam that is how four purusharthas are addressed in two stages of life in brahmacharya it is dharma and in grihastha ashram it is earth and kaam then comes vanprastha ashram here in one has a pursuit for wisdom 
and imparts knowledge to the young generation and works towards the final aim of life that is moksha and in the fourth ashram that is sanyas ashram the individual works towards the spiritual upliftment and looks forward to attain moksha that is freedom from the fetters of life and death the difference between polygamy also known as polygyny polyandry and monogamy polygamy or polygyny is the practice of having more than one wife in other words this is a marriage in which two or more women share a husband the term originates from the greek poly meaning many and gynae meaning women here a man can take more than one wife simultaneously or get married to one or more women when he is already married a very famous example of it can be quoted from the very famous indian epic ramayana where king dashrath has three wives kaushalya kekai and sumitra although polygamy was a common practice in the ancient past today it is not as commonly accepted as monogamy has become the norm next is polyandry polyandry is the practice of having more than one husband in other words this is a marriage where a woman can have more than one husband the term originates from greek polis meaning many and ander or andros meaning men when the husbands in the polyandrous marriage are brothers we call this marriage fraternal polyandry or adelphic polyandry generally polyandry is a rare practice when compared to polygamy Draupadi's marriage to the five Pandav princes is an early example of the polyandrous marriage in the great epic Mahabharata. Next is monogamy. Monogamy is the union between two individuals that is one man and one woman. It is the most common form of marriage in the epic era. This example was set up by Rama the king of ayodhya who in spite of living in the age of polygamy was having only one wife that is sita throughout his life if we discuss difference between polygamy polyandry and monogamy in one chart it would be polygamy or polygyny is the practice of having more than one wife there is one husband and more than one wife polyandry is the practice of having more than one husband there is one wife and more than one husband and monogamy is the union between two individuals that is one man and one woman there is one wife and only one husband the position of women in vedic age in the first part we will discuss the position of women in early vedic or rigvedic age and in the second part we will discuss the position of women in later vedic age also known as epic age so let us start with position of women in early vedic or rigvedic age vedas are the earliest texts composed in vedic sanskrit rigveda yajurveda samveda and atharveda are the four vedas women held an important position in the society during the vedic age No religious ceremony especially yajna could be performed unless the wife joined the husband she was the creator protector and educator to her children monogamy was generally practiced that is one man could marry only one woman at a time 
while polygamy was prevalent among the royal and noble families. Polyandry and the custom of sati was unknown. There was no parda system, that is, the women did not cover their faces with veil. Women were given equal opportunities as men for their spiritual and intellectual development. There were women poets like Apala, Vishwavara, Ghosha, Lokmutra and Gargi during the Rigvedic period. In the Rigvedic period, young girls had equal right to education. They were called Brahmavadinis who were the products of educational discipline of Brahmacharya. Till their marriage, they were eligible to read Vedic theology and philosophy. Yajurveda says, The scholarly woman purifies our life with her intellect. Through her actions, she purifies our actions. Through her knowledge and action, she promotes virtue and efficient management of society. Women enjoyed considerable liberty in the Vedic period. Women could even attend the popular assemblies. There was no child marriage and the practice of sati was absent. The marriageable age seems to have been 16 to 17 years. In the Vedic texts, there are references to women publicly attending feasts dances and other festive gatherings. Atharveda endorses that the women should be valiant, scholarly, prosperous, intelligent and knowledgeable. They should take part in the legislative chambers and be the protectors of family and society. Education was considered as an important qualification for marriage. In Kshatriya society, Girls had privilege to choose their husbands in Swamvara. Monogamy was the recognition of the high social status of women, although polygamy was prevalent. Remarriage of widows were allowed under certain conditions. She could marry the brother of her deceased husband. This practice was known as Niyog. No practice of divorce is found in that period. Unmarried girls had their share in their parents' property but married daughters were exempted. Let us now discuss the position of women in later Vedic age, also known as Epic Age. In regards to the position of women, their condition was not as good during the later Vedic or Epic Age as it was in the early Vedic or Rig Vedic age. Daughters were regarded as a source of misery. Women could not go to the tribal council or assembly neither could they take an inheritance. Married women of the upper classes had to suffer the presence of rival wives and the custom of sati. Sati means a woman burning herself alive on the funeral pyre of her husband was also prevalent. The status of women declined but the opportunity of education was not completely denied. However, they were deprived of the Upnayan Sanskar. In Brahadaranyak Upanishad, Yajmalke and Gargi dialogue proves some women did get higher education. According to Shatpat Brahman, wife was not to eat out and was to eat only after the husband has finished eating. As per Brahman literature, if a man killed his wife, he would get the same punishment as for killing a Shudra. There is a mention of condition of women in various texts in later Vedic period. For example, Atre Brahman says, Daughter is the source of misery, but son is a protector of family. Matriyani Sahita says there are three evils, 
लिकर डाइस एंड वीमेन इन बृहदारण्य के उपनिषद वी सी अ डायलॉग बिटवीन याजमलके एंड कारगी दैट प्रूव्स दैट वीमेन वर हाईली एजुकेटेड दिस कंप्लीटली सजेस्ट दैट द कंडीशन ऑफ वीमेन डिटेरिओरेटेड इन द एपिक एज और लेटर वैदिक एज इन कंपैरिजन विद ऋग्वैदिक और अर्ली वैदिक एज इन एंशिएंट इंडिया The institution of marriage was regarded as of great importance. It was devised and maintained in order to solve the problem of the life of men and women in their worldly existence. For the members of society, many rites and ceremonies were laid down in order to make their life meaningful, sensible, happy, and progressive. Out of these rites, the right of marriage was to fulfill the following main purposes the promotion of religion by the performance of household sacrifices progeny whereby the father and his ancestors were assured of a happy afterlife the fulfillment of the purusharth that is calm the sexual pleasure the rigveda mentions that the girls and boys of the rigvedic society had the freedom to choose their partner in life when their choice was made and both parties consented to live a married life their parents performed the regular marriage rites and got them married eight types of marriages were found in ancient india which were named by them after the various gods and supernatural beings first was the brahma marriage a marriage in which a girl with proper dowry was given to a man of the same caste and class by performing a marriage ceremony in which performance of various sacrifices was undertaken by the bride and bridegroom the bride and bridegroom were also required to take seven steps together around the sacrificial fire the brahma form of marriage was regarded as of higher respect in the hindu society the dev form of marriage it was a form of marriage in which the householder that is the yajman who performed sacrifices to win the favors of god gave his daughter to the sacrificial priest as part of his fees the arch form of marriage in this form of marriage in place of dowry there was a token bride price of a cow and a bull the prajapatya form of marriage this was a form of marriage in which the father of the girl gave the girl in marriage to the bridegroom without any dowry and without demanding any bride price the gandhar form of marriage the marriage of this form took place when the consent of the bride and bridegroom was there to get married and they married secretly without taking permission of their parents as they liked each other the asur form of marriage it was a form of marriage in which by paying money for the bride with the consent of her father the bridegroom married the girl by performing different sacrifices which were prescribed for the brahma form of marriage as in the asur form of marriage the consent of the girl was not taken it was denounced and disfavored by the sacred texts prior to the 4th century bc in ancient india the rakshas form of marriage in this form of marriage the girl was forcibly carried away from her father's house by the bridegroom it was a seizure of the girl which was a short of forcible kidnapping and peshach in this form of marriage the otherwise criminal conduct of a man was attempted to be legalized when he seduced a girl when she was asleep 
or when she was drunk or when she was mentally deranged the ancient indian thinkers prescribed even death penalty for such a criminal seduction of the girl if the person committing that crime refused to marry her the first four forms of marriage the brahm the dev the arsh and the prajapatya were generally approved and were permissible in the ancient indian society let us have a quick recap of the eight forms of marriages prevalent in ancient india first is the brahm in which the marriage in the same class with proper dowry second is dev where the daughter is given by the householder to the sacrificial priest as a part of his feast third is arsh where the bridegroom presents a cow and a bull to the parents of the girl in form of this marriage next is prajapati where a girl is married without dowry fifth one is gandhar where the bride and the bridegroom get married secretly without taking permission of their parents sixth is asur marriage of availing men and women often clandestine rakshas is marriage by capturing a girl and peshaj is marriage by abducting the girl when she is asleep or drunk or mentally perturbed and not in her full senses until 1921 ad it was believed that great indian civilizations had flourished and died only in places like egypt and mesopotamia in the winter of 1921 rakhal das benerjee an officer of the archaeological survey of india discovered several layers while excavating the ruins of a buddhist stupa of 2nd century ad at a place called mohenjodaro banerjee had stumbled upon the remains of the indus valley civilization this discovery pushed back india's history by almost 2000 years taking it to 5000 years before christ the excavations carried out at different sites connected with the indus valley civilization show that the people of the indus valley led a highly advanced urban life the people of mohenjodaro were grouped in four different sections the learned class warriors traders and artisans and manual laborers the food of the people consisted of beef mutton pork poultry turtles and tortoises but wheat was their principal article of food barley and palm date was also familiar fish was commonly used milk was used and vegetables and fruits seem to have been known though there is no positive evidence cotton fabrics were in common use but wool was also used dress was simple men used a shawl which was drawn over the left shoulder and under the right arm so as to leave the right arm free and in the sitting posture came down to the feet it formed the upper garment the lower garment was like a modern dhoti men kept short beards and whiskers and sometimes the upper lip was shaved their hair was combed backwards and was either cut short or coiled in a knot on the top of the head ornaments were worn by both men and women of all classes necklaces fillets armlets finger rings and bangles were worn by both men and women and girdles nose studs earrings and anklets by women alone the rich made ornaments of gold silver ivory fans and other semi precious stones the ornaments of the poor were made of copper bone shell and terracotta people knew the art of toilet and cosmetics toys and amusements 
Among amusements, marbles and a kind of game played with a market board and dice pieces and dancing to the accomplishment of the drum appear to have been practiced. Hunting and fishing also formed a favorite sport. Children's toys were various, interesting and ingenious. Usually, they were crude clay models of birds, animals, whistles, rattles, men and women. There were wheeled carts and chairs. Household articles. The metals known to the people of the Indus Valley were gold, silver, copper, tin, lead and bronze. The earthenware vessels of rich variety were made with potter's wheel and were either plain or painted with a slip of red ochre. Vessels of copper, bronze, silver and porcelain were known though were very rarely used. Among other articles of domestic use may be mentioned spindles and spinder holes made of baked earth, porcelain and shell. Needles and combs made of bone or ivory axes, chisels, saws, knives, sickles, fish hooks and razors made of copper and bronze. Weights and measures. People used a large number of weights. They ranged from large ones to be lifted with rope to very small ones used by dwellers. Cubical weights were most common. A bronze bar with suspended copper pans was used as a scale. It seems that the decimal system was known to the people of Indus Valley civilization. Domestic animals The domesticated animals such as harmed bull, buffalo, sheep, pig, dog, elephant and camel, bullocks were used to pull carts. Medicines The people had some knowledge of medicine. Cattle bone, horns of the deer and antelope, coral and leaves of neem tree have been found. All these have medicinal qualities. Weapons of war. The people mostly used axes, spears, daggers, maces and slings. Swords, shields, helmets or any other defensive weapons are conspicuous by their absence. Seals. More than 550 seals have been discovered. They are made of paste stone or statite of various colors. These are characterized by fine engravings of animals like bull, unicorn, elephant, antelope or the like. The absence of the cow or the horse is significant. A sort of pictorial writing is inscribed over it but the writing still remains undeciphered. The people were familiar with a pictographic system of writing, each sign standing for a particular word or object. Trade and Commerce The small size seals found there were most probably used in connection with trade. The people traded with other parts of India as well as countries of Asia, Egypt and Crete. In exchange, they secured tin, copper and precious stones. Art, Craft and Sculpture there were important industrial classes like the potter, the carpenter, the mason, the blacksmith, the goldsmith, the jeweler, the ivory worker and the stone cutter. Spinning was freely practiced in houses. The potter's wheels and kiln burnt bricks indicate the great advancement in technical knowledge. People possessed artistic skills of a high order. A few stone images found at Harappa recall the finish and excellence of Greek statues and show a high degree of development in the sculptor's art. They were good sculptors. The Dancing Girl This 11 cm high bronze statue of the Dancing Girl is one of the best examples of the art of Indus Valley Civilization. 
high priest this 19 inch high limestone statue is one of the few surviving stone sculptures of indus valley civilization it probably represents a high priest and gives some idea of the physical appearance of the ancient indus people burial rites various burial rites seem to have been in use perhaps by different stocks or tribes generally there were three methods of burial complete burial fractional burial and post cremation the ashes were sometimes placed in urns at other times unburned bones were collected and buried in jars religion no temples or shrines have been uncovered it appears that religious worship may have been a household rite One of the main objects of worship of the people was mother goddess. Many figurines of this mother goddess on pottery, seals and amulets have come to light. People believed in a female energy as the source of all creation. Along with this, a male god was also worshiped. Seals depict figures surrounded by wild animals and sitting in an erect meditative posture or the yoga postures. Lord Shiva is regarded as the Mahayogin and is styled Pashupati or the Lord of Beasts his chief attributes being three eyes three netra and the trishul in addition to the worship of Shiva and Shakti people followed animism it means worship of stones trees and animals in the belief that these are a bodies of spirits good or evil The people tree was regarded as sacred. Important sites of Indus Valley civilization and their archaeological findings. Harappa in the present Pakistan on the bank of river Ravi. Here two rows of six granaries with big platform, stone symbol of lingam and yoni, mother goddess sculpture, wheat and barley in wooden mortar, dice, copper scale and mirror are found. Moreover, sculpture of dog chasing a deer in bronze metal and a red sandstone male torso have been excavated. Mohenjo-daro. Mohenjo-daro in present Pakistan on the river Indus consists of the citadel, the great bath, the great granary, post-cremation burial, sculpture of bearded priest, the famous bronze statue of the dancing girl and Pashupati seal. Dholavira. Dholavira is in Gujarat. It contains giant water reservoir, unique water harnessing system, stadium, dams and embankments. Inscriptions comprising 10 large size signs like an advertisement board. It is the latest Indus Valley civilization city to be discovered. Lothal, Manchester of Indus Valley civilization. Lothal is in Gujarat. It is an important site for naval trade, had a dockyard, rice husk, fire altars, painted jar, modern day chess, terracotta, figures of horse and ship, instruments for measuring 45, 90 and 180 degree angles, practice of burial of cremated remains. Rakhi Gadi Rakhi Gadi in Haryana is considered to be the largest site of Indus Valley civilization. Granary, cemetery, drains, terracotta bricks have been found here. It is called the provincial capital of Harappan civilization. Roper Roper is located on the banks of river Satluj in Punjab India it contains dog buried with human in oval pit burials copper x roper is the first harappan site of independent india first site to be excavated after independence balathal and kalibangan balathal and kalibangan are in rajasthan they contain a bangle factory 
toy carts bones of camel decorated bricks citadel and lower town and fire altar surkotda surkotda is in gujarat and contains the first actual remains of the horse bones banavali banavali is in haryana on the dried up saraswati river it contains toy plow barley grains lapis lazuli fire altars oval shaped settlement only city with radial streets and oval shaped settlements alamgirpur alamgirpur is in meerut in uttar pradesh on the banks of river yamuna it is the easternmost site of indus valley civilization major findings are broken blade made of copper ceramic items and impression of a cloth on a trough mehargarh Mehargarh is in Pakistan and is considered precursor to Indus Valley civilization. Here pottery, copper tools have been found. Chahundro. Chahundro is located in present day Pakistan. It is the only Indus city without a citadel. Bead making factory and use of lipsticks has been found here. Kordiji. Kordiji is located in present day Pakistan. Tar statues of bull and mother goddess have been excavated from here. Suktagendor. Suktagendor is the westernmost site of Indus Valley civilization. It is located in Pakistan. Bangles of clay have been found here. Balu. Balu is in Haryana. Various plant remains have been found here and it has the earliest evidence of garlic. Daimabad. Daimabad is in Maharashtra. It is the southernmost site of Indus Valley civilization. Bronze sculptures including a bronze chariot have been discovered here. Kerala Nudaru. It is in Gujarat. It was the salt production center of Indus Valley civilization. Kotbala. Kotbala is in modern Pakistan and is the earliest evidence of furnace. Mand Mand is in Jammu and Kashmir and is the northernmost site of Indus Valley civilization Other prominent sites of Indus Valley civilization include Mehargarh which is in Pakistan Desalpur in Gujarat Pabumat in Gujarat Rangpur in Gujarat Shikarpur in Gujarat Sanoli in UP Kunal in Haryana and Karanpura in Rajasthan and also Ganeriwala in Punjab Civil engineering in ancient India was known as sthapatyakala and term vastu originally derived from the root word vas meaning to dwell or a dwelling place art of architecture and construction in ancient indian texts is called vastuvidya marvelous monuments in india are examples of vastuvidya which represent its advanced architectural and constructional techniques Methodology of construction of these monuments represents harmony of structure with environment rituals and lifestyle of people of India The details of vastu had been rigorously dealt across various ancient treatises like Vishvakarma's Vastu Shastra Rishi Prabhu's Prabhu Sanhita Maya Mattam said to be written by sage Maya Muni Samrang Sutradhara of Bhojdev and Aprajit Prach These technical treatises contain elaborate descriptions on the aspects of architecture and engineering. Entire universe including our body is composed of five basic elements air, earth, fire, space and water called panch mahabhut. The main principle of vastu is to maintain the balance between dwelling structure and the elements of universe for happiness and comfort. Vastu is the science of direction that combines all the five elements of nature and balances them 
with the man and the material this is how the arrangement of panch mahabhut with respect to cardinal directions has been done on a map there are five basic principles on which the great edifice of the vastu science of architecture stands first is bhu pariksha which means examination and selection of site it is unique method of testing the site before it is selected for the construction the soil has to be examined for its shape contour order color taste and touch second is tik nirnay that is orientation according to indian texts of architecture the cardinal directions hold a particular significance the various associations are given to the eight cardinal directions main aim in orientation principles of vastu shastra is setting of structure and its components in such a way that they may get maximum benefits from solar energy and wind these directions are north northeast which is known as ishan east southeast known as agni south southwest known as nairutya west and northwest known as vayavya third is vastu purush mandal known as padvinyas which means planning of various components it constitutes mathematical and diagrammatic basis for generating design purush refers to energy power soul or cosmic man mandal is the generic name for any plan or chart which symbolically represents the cosmos padvinyas is the process in which the site is divided into various numbers of squares the number of squares varies from single square 1 into 1 grid to 32 into 32 1084 squares depending upon type of construction where each square is referred to be as pad most common mandal is where deities are assigned to the divided squares and are named after the deity assigned it defines stable structural grid for construction this is the diagram of vastu purush mandal and is divided into 9 into 9 equals 81 parts the position of the 45 gods who are holding down the vastu purush are shown 32 are in the external enclosures and 13 are in the internal enclosures these symbolic gods rule various aspects of life and have certain inherent qualities fourth is proportion and measurement of building known as man and ayadi man prescribes the proportionate measurements the measurements are divided into categories such as measurement of height breadth width of circumference measurement along plumb lines measurement of thickness and measurement of internal space ayadi principles are useful for calculating proportion and scale of different components principles of ratio of breadth and length height and length etc and the fifth is bhulambhaman or chand which is the aesthetics of the building these principles are based on movement of celestial elements like planets sun moon and their effects on environment velocity and direction of wind rainfall volume and intensity and characteristic of soil these principles are also derived on the basis of special characteristics and influences of elements of universe such as the magnetic field gravitational effect of earth and galaxies in sky light and heat of the sun etc it reflects indian philosophy of life and interrelationship between human and environment
destruction of the Indus Valley civilization. Once established, the Indus Valley civilization flourished for more than six centuries without undergoing any significant change. Its sudden end is a piece of historical speculation. There might have been natural calamities, either a flood of the Indus or its gradual drifting away from the city might have made the place unfertile. There might have been a pandemic or an earthquake which led to the destruction of Indus Valley civilization. There might have been invasion by nomadic tribes. Some tribes from outside India might have sacked Mohenjo-daro and destroyed its civilization. That is how Mohenjo-daro is also known as Moon of the Dead. In the Sindhi language, Mohenjo-daro means Moons of the Dead. The name has its roots in the fact that sprawling skeletons of men, women and children were uncovered in the topmost level of the city. The bones bear sword or axe cuts. All this suggests that they met a violent death and tell the story of Mohenjo-daro's end. In 323 BC, Chandragupta Maurya, with the help of a crafty statesman Chanakya, also known as Kautilya, overthrew Dhananand and laid the foundation of the Mauryan Empire in India. The Mauryan age, that is from 320 BC to 185 BC, was a glorious one. Not much is known about the early life of its founder Chandragupta. Buddhist scriptures point out that he belonged to the Shakyas, a clan to which the Buddha belonged. Jain tradition regards Chandragupta to have been in the family of peacock breeders. Many coins issued by him have been found with the figure of a peacock engraved on them. Chandragupta controlled North India from the Hindukush in the west to Bengal in the east and from the Himalayas in the north to the Narmada in the south. The kingdom was largely centralized partly because of a network of highways. After a glorious rule spanning 25 years, Chandragupta gave up his throne and became a Jain ascetic. Indo-Greek alliance under the Mauryan rule After Alexander's death, his empire fell into disunity. His generals divided the empire and one of them, Seleucus, became the sole master of Syria, Persia and Mesopotamia. With a view to reconquering Indian provinces, he crossed the Indus but was defeated by Chandragupta Maurya in 305 BC. As a result, Seleucus had to surrender all conquered territory to the Mauryan Empire and also give his daughter in marriage to Chandragupta. He also sent Megasthenes to the Indian court as an ambassador to grant Chandragupta formal rights over Alexander's conquests in India. Bindusar Bindusar reigned from 300 to 273 BC. Chandragupta was succeeded by his son Bindusar, who was a great warrior and a capable ruler. He maintained diplomatic relations with the Greek kings and exchanged ambassadors with Antiochus, the successor of Seleucus. He expanded the Mauryan Empire to regions up to Mysore. He ruled for 25 years and died in 273 BC. He was succeeded by one of his sons, Ashoka. Ashoka. Ashoka ruled from 273 BC to 232 BC. According to Buddhist works, there was a war of succession after Bindusar's death and Ashoka seized the throne by killing his brothers. He was coronated four years later in 269 BC. 
conquest of Kalinga. Eight years after his coronation, Ashoka conquered Kalinga, modern Odisha. The Battle of Kaling was to be the turning point in Ashoka's life. Kalinga was an independent kingdom in the days of Chandragupta Maurya. The territory was annexed to the Magadhan Empire, but if left a story of woe and misery. Extent of Ashoka's Empire Ashoka regretted the suffering he had caused to his fellow human beings. He took a vow not to launch any violent war again in his life. The Kaling War brought about a complete change in his religious beliefs and way of life and he became one of the noblest of kings known to history. He gave up the policy of Digvijay, that is conquest of territories and adopted the policy of Dharmavijay, that is conquest of Dharma. This new policy was greatly instrumental in turning Buddhism from a local sect into one of the world religions. Ashoka's Ideal of Kingship Ashoka was the first ancient monarch who professed the policy of peaceful coexistence. He took great care of his subjects and his lofty ideal of kingship earned him the title Ashoka the Great. He administered his kingdom well. He appointed Dharm Mahamatras to enforce the law of piety. He introduced periodical tours to officers in his kingdom so that they could communicate with the public and solve the problems. He appointed Mahamatras to carry out administrative work. He planted trees on both sides of the road to provide shade and shelter to men and beasts. Wells were dug and rest houses were built at regular intervals for the weary travellers. Thus, Ashoka's administration aimed at moral and material well-being of the subjects. The people were happy and prosperous under his rule. Ashoka occupied a unique place in history of world civilization. He gave up conquest of war and adopted the policy of right and not of might. Downfall of the Mauryan Empire The Mauryan dynasty continued to rule over the vast areas of India until 50 years after Ashoka's death, but its authority soon declined. By about 185 BC, the army commander Pushyamitra overthrew the last Mauryan king and founded the Shunga dynasty. Reasons for the decline of Mauryan Empire The successors of Ashoka were weak and incompetent and so were unable to stop the empire declining. Rivalry and court intrigues further weakened the king's authority. The Mauryan Empire was too vast to be controlled by weak rulers. Also, they were unable to meet the expenses required to maintain a large army for their protection. The peaceful policy of Ahimsa adopted by Ashoka had destroyed the material spirit of the people. The empire could not be maintained without a strong and efficient army. Therefore, Magadh fell an easy prey to foreign invaders. The question arises, what was Ashoka's dharm or law of piety? Ashoka's conception of dharm, usually called dhamma, had the essence of all the religions. It laid emphasis on simple living respect for all, high thinking and good moral life because Ashoka felt that morality was the way to true happiness. He believed in ahimsa that is non-violence and he banned the killing of animals. He believed in truthfulness that is everyone should speak the truth. 
he also believed in mercy and charity that is daya and he asked everyone to practice self control that is sanyam there were no ceremonies or rituals associated with his dhamma let us also try and understand the sources of information for the mauryan dynasty as regards the conditions of india under the mauryas we have a large amount of reliable evidence the following are some of the prominent sources of information first is indica the account of megasthenes the ambassador of seleucus in the court of chandragupta maurya the greatest part of the soil is under irrigation and consequently bears two crops in the course of the year megasthenes has said in indica this gives us an idea about the economic prosperity of the people another major source of information of mauryan dynasty is the arthashastra by chanakya vishnugupta was a cunning minister and is often referred to as chanakya or kautilya kautilya means the crooked one he is regarded as the author of the most important indian work on state craft the arthashastra even today the term chanakya niti is often used to describe diplomatic strategies ashoka's edicts and inscriptions there should not be honor to one's own sect or condemnation to another sect on the contrary other sects should be honored by doing so one promotes one's own sect and benefits another sect this is one of the inscriptions on a rock edict the above edict reflects ashoka's religious tolerance we will be making another detailed episode on ashoka's edicts and inscriptions one more very important source of information about the mauryas is the mudra rakshas play by vishaktat the early kingdoms and republics which is known as the era of 16 mahajanpads india disintegrated into multiple autonomous republics throughout the 6th century bc the 16 significant and strong kingdoms as a result developed the era from the start of the 6th century bc to the emergence of magadh is referred to as 16 mahajanpad age ajan was created by a collection of tribes and the region where they resided was known as janpad when the kingdom of magadh and kaushal were established the term janpad included villages marketplaces towns and cities indicating the presence of a system of governance and income the 16 mahajanpads are kashi with its capital as varanasi and the present location is banaras in up kaushal its capital is shravasti and present location is faizabad in eastern up ang its capital is champa or champanagri and present location is munger and bhagalpur in bihar magadh its capital is rajgrih or grivraj and later on patliputra and the modern location is patna gaya sahabad in bihar and parts of bengal what's its capital is koshambi and present location is allahabad mirzapur in up avanti its capital is ujjain mahismati and present location is ujjain and malwa region mal its capital is kushinagar or pawa and present location is vaishali in up chedi its capital is suktimati and present location is bundelkhand mp vajji its capital is vaishali and modern location is vaishali in mithila region bihar kuru its capital is hastinapur and modern location is northern india panchal its capital is aichetra western part and kampilya eastern part 
and modern location is Rohilkhand in UP. Matasse, its capital is Viratnagar and modern location is Jaipur in Rajasthan. Sursen, its capital is Mathura and modern location is Bridge or Bridge Bhumi in UP. Asmak, its capital is Potan or Patli and modern location is Banks of Godavari Yamuna River in Andhra Pradesh, Telangana and Maharashtra. Gandhar, its capital is Takshila and modern location is Kabul, Rawalpindi, Peshawar in Pakistan. Kamboj, its capital is Rajpur and modern location is Panch Hazara in Kashmir. The Buddhist and Jain texts state that there were 16 Mahajanpads in existence during the time of Buddha. The early literature tells us that although several of these republics had republican constitutions, most of them were monarchical in terms of rule. Kashi, the most significant city in India, Varanasi is located in the most productive agricultural region at the meeting points of the river Ganges and Gomti. Kashi's economic significance came from the fact that it had become a significant textile manufacturing hub during the Buddha's lifetime. During the reign of Ajashatru, the Kasi region merged with Magadh. Its capital was named as Varanasi. Kaushal Kaushal had influence over the Shakyas in Kapilvastu. The Majjim Nikai has a description of Buddha as Kaushalan. The Kaushal kingdom was ruled by Hiranyap, Mahakaushal Prasenjit and Suddhodhan in the 6th century BC. Ayodhya, Saket and Shravasti were all under the rule of Kaushal, which arose as a powerful and rich empire. Additionally, Kaushal was able to include Kashi in its borders. The Kaushal kings supported both Buddhism and Brahmanism. The Buddha's companion and contemporary were King Prasenjit. Its capital was named as Shravasti. Ang Champa, the capital of Ang, was located on the confluence of the rivers Champa and the Ganga. It was well known for its trade and business and from here, traders travelled through the Ganga to farther east. Indian traders used to depart from the port of Champa towards the Golden Land, Swarnabhumi, while the city of Champa served as the centre of business. The monarch of the Ang kingdom was Kern. In the 6th century BC, Champa was regarded as one of the six major cities. Its capital was named as Champa, which was also called Champagiri. Magadh, one of the 16 Mahajanpads or great kingdoms of the second urbanization, Magadh ruled over what is now South Bihar's eastern Ganges plain. In Jain and Buddhist texts, the ancient kingdom of Magadh is frequently mentioned. The Ramayana, Mahabharata and Puranas all make mention of it. Its capital was named as Rajgriha, which was later renamed as Patliputra. Vats After Hastinapur was destroyed by floods, according to the Puranas, Nichakshu, a Pandav descendant, moved his capital to Koshambi. In his place, the dramatist Bhash immortalized the name of Udayan, one of the Vats monarchs. The romance between Udayan and Vasudatta, the princess of Avanti, is the subject of these plays. The battles between the strong kingdoms of Magadh, Vats and Avanti are also depicted in these plays. Its capital's name was Koshambi. Avanti Avanti was among the strongest Mahajanpads in the 6th century BC. The core region of this kingdom would roughly equate to the Madhya Pradesh district of Ujjain, stretching up to the Narmada river. The Yadav clan, known as the 
Haihaya is credited by the Puranas with laying the basis for Avanti. Its capital was named as Ujjain, which was also known as Mahishmati. Mal. According to a legend, the Mal domains were to the east and southeast of Shakya region. The Mallas, like the Vedehas, had a monarchical constitution initially, but this was later replaced by a republican system of governance. The Mallas, the Lichavis, and the Kashi Kaushal clan heads are said to have formed some sort of alliance. This coming together might be a response to the growing threat posed by the Magadan ascendancy. Its capital was named as Kushinagar, which was also called Pawa. Chedi The Chatiks provide a list of the Chedi kingdom kings, which approximately corresponds to the eastern portions of contemporary Bundelkhand and surrounding regions. A leader of the Chedi people was Shishupal, Krishna's infamous foe. Both appear in the well-known epic, the Mahabharata. According to the Mahabharata, the leaders of Matasya beyond the Chambal, the Kashis of Banaras and the Karusas in the valley of the river Son all appear to have been in close contact with the Chedis. Its capital was named as Suktimati. Vajji According to a legend, the Vajji kingdom was made up of eight clans, Ashtukul, the most well-known of which were the Vedehis, Lichavis and Jantrikas. It was connected to King Janak in the Ramayana and according to Buddhist scriptures, it is a chiefship. The largest and wealthiest of the ancient Indian Jansanghas, the Lichavis, had their headquarters in Vaishali. The Vajjis, according to a Jatak tale, were governed by several clan heads. The Vajji confederation was a flourishing non-monarchical kingdom during the reigns of Mahavir and Gautam Buddha. Its capital was named as Vaishali. Kuru The Delhi Merat region includes as the center of the Kuru kingdom. The Yudhishthir family was thought to be the descendant from the Kuru's monarchs. The capitals of the Kuru's, each with their own leaders, are listed individually as being Hastinapur, Indraprasth and Ishukara. Its capital was named as Hastinapur. Panchal the river Bhagirathi is said to have divided the two Panchal lineages into the northern Panchals and the southern Panchals in the ancient literature. The capital of the northern Panchals was Ahichetra, which is located in Uttar Pradesh's Bareilly district. Kampilya served as the Panchal's southern region's capital. The Buddha is reported to have visited the commercial center of the Kurus who were allies of the Panchals. The western part of its capital was named as Ahichetra and the eastern part was named as Kampilya. Matasya Viratnagar was the capital of Matasya, the well-known location where the Pandavas hid. Matasya could not compete with the powers that had settled agriculture as its foundation because it was so rudimentary. As a result, the expanding Magadan kingdom annexed it. The ancient Virat city of Beirut in Jaipur district where some of the most well-known Ashoka edicts were discovered. Sursen, the Yadav clan with which the epic hero Krishna is linked is mentioned in Mahabharata and the Puranas as being the governing family of Mathura. Mathura was perfectly situated at the intersection of the two well-known ancient Indian trade routes, the Uttarapath and the Dakshinapath. The capital of Surasen was known as Mathura. Asmak 
Asmak, also known as Kaksin Pat or the Southern Pat, is said to have connected Pratishthan with the northern cities as the most southern Janpat. Weak allusions of the Asaka rulers have left us with very little knowledge about this area. Its capital was known as Potan, which was also called as Patli. Gandhar Gandhar was situated in the northwestern province, approximately between Kabul and Rawalpindi. It's possible that this geographical boundary includes some of Kashmir. Takshila, the kingdom's capital, was a significant center for study and commerce. Gandhar was controlled by Pakkusati, a friend of Bimbisar, in the 6th century BC, but by the late 6th century BC, the Persians had taken control over the country. Kamboj Kamboj was situated near Gandhar, most likely in Afghanistan. They are referred to as Vart Sastropvajim Sangh in the Arthashastra, which is Sanskrit for a union of farmers, herders, traders and warriors. Its capital was named as Rajpur. The Guptas and the Golden Era The fall of the Kushanas in the north and the Satwahans in the south led to chaos and confusion in the country, resulting in the rise of many independent states. The Sakas ruled over Malwa and Kathiawar. The Lichwis became supreme in Magadh. The Nagas gained power in the north and the Pallavas established independent states on the ruins of the Satwahans. There was no political unity until the rise of Guptas. The 4th century AD is known as the imperial age of the Guptas in India. The Guptas controlled the destiny of India for more than 200 years and the period is described as the golden age of Indian culture in the history of India. The Gupta kings, Shrigupt was feudatory of the Lichwis and ruled over a small state near Patliputra. He was succeeded by his son Ghatotkach who used the title of Maharaja. But the first independent ruler of the Gupta dynasty was Ghatotkach's son Chandragupta I. Chandragupta I ruled from 320 to 335 AD. Chandragupta, the founder of this dynasty, ascended the throne in 320 AD. He was an independent sovereign and during his brief rule, he succeeded in raising the power and prestige of this dynasty. He married a Lichavi princess of Vaishali named Kumar Devi and extended his power with the help of his relatives. Soon, he conquered many territories and became an undisputed ruler of a part of Magadh, that is South Bihar, Prayag, that is modern Prayagraj, Saket, that is Ayodhya, and probably a part of Bengal. He assumed the title of Maharaja Dhiraj, the king of kings. Next was Samudragupta. Samudragupta ruled from 335 AD to 380 AD. Samudragupta succeeded his father Chandragupta I, who died at a young age. Samudragupta was a great conqueror like Mahapadnand and Chandragupta Maurya. He seems to have aimed at the political unification of India. A more or less detailed account of his conquest has been preserved in the Allahabad Pillar inscription composed by his court poet Harishin. He has described Samudragupta as the hero of a hundred battles. Samudragupta was a great military genius and extended his empire in all directions after defeating as many as nine kings in northern India and twelve of southern India. Samudragupta 
did not try to gain permanent possession of his conquests in the south because he could not control south india from his distant base in the northeast instead he was content with receiving tributes from the defeated princes and bringing home a large store of treasures samudgupta's conquests one conquests in north india Samudgupta uprooted many princes of Aryavrat or the Upper Ganges Valley and the adjoining regions. He defeated the confederacy of the three Naga kings namely Nagasen, Ganpati Nag and Nandi. He defeated the Kota kings whose kingdom was a part of modern Rajasthan. He conquered the forest states in Ghazipur, Jabalpur region. He subdued the non-monarchical tribes as the Malvas, the Yodhyas, the Madras, the Abhirasas and the Arjunayans. 2. Southern Campaign After the conquest of Aryavrat, Samudgupta turned his attention to the south. His southern expedition was a daring adventure in which he had to take an arduous journey of 3000 miles through impenetrable forests and unknown regions. He defeated Mahendra, the prominent ruler of Kaushal. He has to face a powerful confederacy of the Deccan rulers under the leadership of Vishnu Gopa, the powerful ruler of Kanchi. Frontier states. Among the frontier provinces, those who accepted the status of vassalage were the rulers of Samtat, South and East Bengal, tribal republics of Kamrup, Devak, Nepal, Katripur. The conqueror celebrated his victories by the performances of the Ashwamedh sacrifice. Meghwarn, king of Ceylon, sent an embassy to him and secured his permission to erect a monastery at Bodhgaya for Ceylonese pilgrims. Samudgupta, the Indian Napoleon. Samudgupta's greatness was alike in war and in peace. He was not only a great conqueror but also a great poet and musician. One of his coins show him playing on the veena. Although he was a Vaishnav Hindu, he was tolerant towards other religions. Samudgupta laid the foundation of a big empire which extended from the Himalayas in the north to the Narmada in the south and the Brahmaputra in the east to the river Yamuna and Chambal in the west. It is possible that Samudgupta exercised some control over the Hindu colonies of the Malaya Peninsula, Java, Sumatra and other islands in the East Indies. Chandragupta II ruled from 380 AD to 412 AD. Chandragupta II succeeded his father Samudgupta and ascended the throne in the year 380 AD. The coins of Chandragupta II tell us that he was devout follower of God Vishnu. He assumed the title of Vikramaditya which means son of Par. He married Kuber Naga, a Naga princess and won over the friendship of an important dynasty. He strengthened his position by giving his daughter in marriage to Rudrasen II, the Vakatak ruler in the Deccan, who helped him in the war against the western satraps of Gujarat and Saurashtra. Conquests of Vikramaditya 1. Conquest of Malwa The most important achievement of his reign was the conquest of Malwa, Gujarat and Kathiawad. He defeated and killed Rudrasim III, the last ruler of the great satraps of Ujjain, and annexed all the three kingdoms of these satraps of the Gupta Empire. The three seaports of western India, Broch, Kambe and Sopara fell into the hands of the Gupta Emperor, opening up overseas trade routes. 2. War against Bengal 
An inscription on the iron pillar in Delhi shows that he waged many wars against several chiefs of Bengal. Thus, he was successful in maintaining the eastern boundary of his empire intact. Achievements of Chandragupta II Chandragupta II was an able warrior who could protect his boundaries. Acquisition of the seaports led to healthy trade and commerce with overseas countries. He patronized poets and artists and had in his court the famous Navratna, the most learned man of the time. Patliputra became a beautiful city under the efficient administration of Chandragupta II. Extent of Chandragupta Vikramaditya's empire The Gupta empire reached the zenith of power and prosperity during the reign of Chandragupta II. His empire extended from the Brahmaputra in the east to the Chenab in the northwest, from the Himalayas in the north to Narmada in the south and in the west it extended up to the Arabian Sea. During the reign of Chandragupta II, the Chinese traveller Fahayan came to India and wrote glowing accounts of this period. Komargupta He succeeded his father Chandragupta II in 421 AD. There was peace and prosperity during his reign. Skandgupta After his father Kumargupta's death, Skandgupta ascended the throne. After the death of Skandgupta, his weak successor could not check the Hunas for long. By the beginning of the 6th century AD, the Hunas had captured almost the whole of North India including Punjab, Rajputana and Malwa. The Hunas invasion on India. During the reign of Kumargupta and Skandgupta, the Hunas from Central Asia invaded India. They were fierce people and excellent horsemen and archers. They did their looting at night and left during the day. They were cruel and barbarous people who left behind a trail of destruction and death wherever they went. They were defeated and driven out of India by Skandagupta. A magnificent temple of Vishnu was built to commemorate his victory over the Hunas. The Golden Age of Indian Culture The period of the Gupta rule is one of the brightest in the history of India, characterized by the round peace, prosperity and intellectual development. Hence, this age has been fittingly described as the golden age of Hindu rule. The main features of this period are first, revival or renaissance of Hinduism. The Gupta kings were Brahmanical Hindus but respected Buddhism and Jainism. Worship of images became popular. Old gods of the Vedic period came into the forefront and temples of Shiva and Vishnu were built. The cult of Bhakti became popular and it became a unifying force between the Shaivas and Vaishnavas. Second, classical Sanskrit literature. Sanskrit became the lingua franca of India. The knowledge of Sanskrit became a symbol of culture. This period is compared with the Patslian age of Athens and the Elizabethan age of England. The literary achievements of golden age are first Kalidas was a great scholar poet and playwright of this age. His well-known works are Shakuntala, Raghuvansh, Meghdoot and Kumarsambhav. Second, Vishakdat, Dandi, Harishen were other great poets and writers of this time. Panini and Patanjali were famous grammarians. The Ramayana and Mahabharata were revised and rewritten during this period. The Great Panchatantra, a storehouse of wonderful stories, was written during this period. The Panch, that is five, and Tantra, body of principles, that is taught, was apparently composed to teach three unlettered princes how to think 
and not what to think with mere book learning men remain fools the man who acts using his knowledge he is wise the five tantras include friendship knowledge confidence sincerity and achievement of success the panchtantra draws upon a vast variety of characters from the world of humans and of animals to depict the strong and the weak the high and the low the predator and the prey third feature of the golden era was progress in education india made great progress in the field of education during the gupta period apart from a network of pathshalas the temple schools many centers of higher learning at nalanda takshashila ujjain sarnath and ajanta assumed great importance these institutions were given liberal finance by the gupta monarchs and wealthy merchants holy places like prayag banaras mathura nasik and kanchi were also centers of higher learning the curriculum of studies included the vedas puranas itihasa smritis grammar logic philosophy astronomy and astrology this era was known as golden era also because of the development of scientific knowledge scientists mathematicians astronomers and physicians flourished at the court of the gupta rulers aryabhat and varaha mehr were two great astronomers aryabhat explained the causes of solar and lunar eclipses and methods of calculating the timings of their occurrences vrihad vagbhat was a great physician of the ayurvedic system of medicine brahmagupta a great mathematician made a contribution to the field of mathematics discovery of zero is india's contribution to mathematics the guptera also saw the heights of metal casting the science of metallurgy reached a high standard during the gupta period the iron pillar at mehrauli near qutub minar in delhi is a standing testimony of their excellence the 25 meters high copper statue of buddha at nalanda is the best specimen of casting copper statues the coins of this period also indicate the excellence in metal casting this era also saw great progress in art and architecture the art of architecture attained great heights during the gupta period the vishnu temple in devgarh in jhansi a temple at sachi and a brick temple at bhitargaon near kanpur are a few surviving specimens The most important remains of the Gupta paintings exist at Ajanta and at Bagh near Gwalior. These paintings are called frescoes. The subject of most paintings at Ajanta and Bagh is stories from the Jataks. The artists could paint non-religious subjects like human, animals and plant form with equal ease. Sculpture The sculpture of the Gupta period had developed great sensitivity for the understanding of his art. The sculptor also developed great skill in the folding of drapery, making it cling to the body and giving an effect of transparency. Two of the great masterpieces are the standing Buddha from Mathura and the seated Buddha. This mighty empire also saw a downfall later on main causes that led to the downfall of the guptas are first 
weak successors. Skandagupta was followed by a series of weak and incompetent rulers. Also, many of the kings followed Buddhism, which affected the military spirit of the people. Second, vastness of empire. The weak rulers were unable to administer the vast empire. And third, the system of giving land grants to officers instead of paying salaries made the governors very strong. They eventually broke away from the central government and became independent. Vaishnavism is one of the major religions of India. Vaishnavism is also known as Bhagavatism. This sect regards Vishnu as the supreme god. He is the creator of the universe, reigns in the vacant and rests in the primeval ocean on the thousand-headed snake, Sheshnag. The color of his skin is dark blue and he has four arms. His wife is Lakshmi, who is the goddess of wealth and prosperity. He rides the great eagle, Garur. Brahma, who created the world, was born in the lotus flower which grew from the navel of Vishnu in his sleep. They focus their worship on the ten incarnations of Vishnu which include Ram and Krishna. The ten incarnations of Vishnu are the first one, Matasya, the fish. Matasya is said to be the avatar that rescued the first men as well as other creatures of the earth. Matasya is sometimes depicted as a great fish or as a human torso connected to the tail of a fish. Matasya is said to have forewarned man about the coming flood and ordered him to preserve all the grains and living creatures in a boat. The second avatar, Kurma, the tortoise. Kurma is the tortoise incarnation that relates to of the churning the ocean to obtain treasures dissolved in the ocean of milk. In this legend, Vishnu took the form of a tortoise to support the churning stick on his back. The Kurmavtar of Vishnu is usually seen in a mixed human animal form. The third avatar is the Varha avatar. Varaha is the boar that raised the earth from the bottom of the sea after the demon Hiranyakashyap dragged it to the bottom of the sea. After a battle of 1000 years, Varaha raised the earth out of the water with his tusks. Varaha is depicted as either a full boar or as a boar head on a human body. The fourth avatar is Narsimha. As the legend goes, the demon Hiranyakashyap obtained a boon from Brahma that he could not be killed or harmed by any means. Now, arrogant in his security, Hiranyakashyap began to cause trouble both in heaven and on earth. However, his son Prahlad was devoted to Vishnu. One day, when the demon challenged Prahlad, Vishnu emerged in the form of a man lion known as Narsimha to slay the demon. The fifth avatar is the Vaman. In the Rigveda, Vaman, the dwarf, appears when the demon king Bali ruled the universe and the gods lost their power. One day, Vaman visited the court of Bali and begged for as much land as he could cover in three steps. Laughing at the dwarf, Bali granted the wish. The dwarf then assumed the form of a giant. He took the whole earth with the first step and the entire middle world with the second step. With the third step, Vaman sent Bali down to rule the underworld. The sixth avatar 
is Parshuram. In this form as Parshuram, Vishnu appears as a priest who is a Brahmin who comes to the world to kill bad kings and protect humanity from danger. He appears in the form of a man carrying an axe, sometimes referred to as Ram with an axe. In the original story, Parshuram appeared to restore Hindu social order which had become corrupt by the arrogant Kshatriya caste. The seventh avatar is Lord Ram, the perfect man. Lord Ram is the seventh avatar of Vishnu and a major deity of Hinduism. He is considered supreme in some traditions. He is the central figure of the ancient Hindu epic Ramayana and is known as king of Ayodhya, the city believed to be Rama's birthplace. According to the Ramayana, Rama's father was King Dashrath and his mother was Queen Kaushalya. Ram was born at the end of the second age sent by the gods to the battle with the multi-headed demon Ravan. Ram is often depicted with blue skin standing with a bow and arrow. The eighth avatar, Lord Krishna, the divine statesman. Lord Krishna, the divine statesman, is the eighth avatar of Vishnu and is one of the most widely revered deities in Hinduism. He was a coward, sometimes depicted as a charioteer or statesman who shrewdly changed rules. According to legend, the famous poem, the Bhagavad Gita, is spoken by Krishna to Arjun on the battlefield. Krishna is depicted in a variety of forms because there are so many stories surrounding him. The most common story describes Krishna as a divine lover who plays the flute. He is also described in his child form. In paintings, Krishna often has blue skin and wears a crown of peacock feather. The ninth avatar, Balram, Krishna's elder brother. Balram is said to be the elder brother of Krishna. It is believed that he engaged in many adventures alongside his brother. Balram is rarely worshipped independently, but stories always focus on his prodigious strength. In visual representations, he is usually shown with pale skin in contrast to Krishna's blue skin. In a number of versions of the mythology, Lord Buddha is thought to be the ninth incarnation. However, this was an addition that came after the Dashavatar was already established. The tenth avatar the mighty warrior. Kalki meaning eternity or mighty warrior is the last incarnation of Vishnu. He is not expected to appear until the end of Kaliyug, the current time period. Kalki will come, it is believed, to rid the world of oppression by unrighteous rulers. It is said that he will appear riding a white horse and carrying a fairy sword. Through his avatars, Vishnu defends traditional righteousness in keeping with the moral law, that is, dharma. The most popular of the avatars are Ram and Krishna. Ram is often depicted in Hindu art and literature with his consort Sita. Krishna manifests his true identity as Vishnu to his warrior friend Arjun in the Bhagavad Gita, but he often portrayed as a handsome youth in the company of Radha and other gopis the milkmaids. The various sects of worshippers of Vishnu pray to him in different ways. For some, the goal of religious devotion means bhakti to Vishnu is liberation 
or moksha from the cycle of birth and death. For others, it is health and prosperity in this life, good crops, success in business or thriving children. Vaishnavites lead a way of life promoting differentiated monotheism which gives importance to Lord Vishnu and his 10 incarnations. Its beliefs and practices, especially the concepts of bhakti and bhakti yoga are based largely on the Upanishads and associated with the Vedic and Puranic texts such as the Bhagavad Gita and the Padma, Vishnu and Bhagavad Puranas. Religious Literature Vaikansh Agams are certain religious literatures that are regarded as canonical in Vaishnavism. Pancharatra are the texts of ritual worship which deals with the knowledge of God, the method of mental concentration, yoga and construction of temples and the installation of images therein Kriya and the observance of daily rites and the celebration of festivals. In Vaikansh Agams, detailed instructions are given for construction of temples and mouldings of images. Vishnu resides in his abode which is known as Vaikunt. There he sits enthroned besides his consort, the goddess Lakshmi or Shri. She is considered as patroness of good fortune and temporal blessing. Five forms of Vishnu are transcendent, that is para, the grouped view, the incarnated vibhav, the immanated antreman, the idol, are God as the transcendent possess six attributes, namely knowledge, lordship, virility, splendor, potency and strength. The grouped forms of God are four. They are Vasudev, Sankarsan, Pradyuman and Anirudh. There is a distinctive function assigned to each of those views in cosmic creation as well as in the act of redeeming souls. The devotees of, of Vishnu are also known as Alvars. The Alvars were Tamil poet saints of South India who espoused devotion to the Lord Vishnu or his avatar Lord Krishna in their songs of longing and service. The hymns of the Alvars were made into a consolidated volume known as Divya Prabhanth. The bhakti literature that sprang from Alvars had contributed to the establishment and sustenance of a culture that broke away from the ritual-oriented Vedic religion and rooted itself in devotion as the only path of salvation. So, we can say that Vaishnavism is one of the major sects of India. Shaivism is the name given to the practice of worshipping Lord Shiva as the highest supreme Brahman. Shaivism is practiced widely throughout India and has many distinct regional variations in both philosophy and practice. Artifacts from excavations of archaeological sites from the Indus Valley civilization have been interpreted to suggest that the earliest form of Shiva worship was practiced between 2800 BCE to 1500 BCE. These artifacts include numerous lingas carved on rock surfaces as well as the Pashupati seal found at Mohenjodaro which has been the subject of much study. In the Vedic period, the Rig Veda saw the initial proto-Shiva figure develop into Rudra, a terrifying capricious deity who held jurisdiction over disease and the wilderness. Although only four of the Rig Vedic hymns are dedicated exclusively to this character, 
he plays an important role in the Vedas in his association with the fire god Agni and the sacrificial beverage Soma. Shiv means the auspicious one, Kalyanakari. This lance may be a precursor of Shiva's trident, the two great epics of India, the Mahabharata and the Ramayana also indicate Shiva's importance. It is with the rise to prominence of the Puranas during the Gupta dynasty during 320 to 500 CE that Shaivism spread most rapidly throughout the Indian subcontinent. One of the primary symbols of Shaivism is the Ling, also known as Lingam. The phallic shape which represents Shiva by embodying both his regenerative capability as the destroyer and reproducer of the universe. In Shaivite temples, worship of the Ling is performed with offerings of fresh flowers, water, sprouts of grass, fruits, leaves and sun-dried rice. In the home, Shaivites often collect natural Ling-shaped stones to which they perform abulations and food offerings. The Ling has become the definitive mark of Shaivism, allowing a devotee to recognize and identify with followers of the group. The link is commonly found in proximity to a yoni, the valvular symbol of Shakti. The tilak is a Hindu sectarian mark worn on the forehead which varies in shape according to the different folds of Hinduism. The Shaivite tilak typically appears as three horizontal lines also known as tripundra drawn upon the forehead with ashes. Worshippers of Shiva worship him in various forms as Shivling, Nataraj, Dakshinamurti, Ardhanarishwar, Hardemurti, Yogeshwar and Bhairav. There are various schools of Shaivism. Shaivism has a vast literature that includes texts representing multiple philosophical schools such as non-dualist that is Abhed and dualist that is Bhed. Non-dual with dualism Bhed Abhed perspectives. Pashupats. The ascetic Pashupat are one of the oldest named Shaivite sects. The most likely founder of this group was Lakulish, the lord of the club, who lived around the early part of the 2nd century CE. Each of his four major disciples, Kaurushe, Garg, Mitra and Kushik, established important lineages of their own. Although the Pashupat movement seems to have died out by the late 15th century, its precepts are still well known because of two surviving texts, the Gandkarika and the Pashupat Sutra. Kapaliks Kapaliks or skull bearers gleaned from outsider commentaries, most notably Shankara's biographies, suggest that the group centered around bhakti devotion of Bhairav Shiv in the most terrifying form. Kalamuks Kapalik and Kalamuk are the devotees of Shiv who become known for their practices of esoteric rituals that allegedly included both animal and human sacrifice. Nayanars Among the first proponents of the vernacular bhakti tradition in Hinduism were the Nayanars, an exalted group comprised of 63 poet saints that developed in South India during the 7th century CE. Among the most prominent four primary poet saints are Nanchampantar, Tirunavukurkar, Kundaramurti, Manikavasakar. Kashmir Shaivism Shaivism in the northern Indian region of Kashmir involves a number of influential sects which thrived during the second half of the 9th century CE. Among these groups, 
were the dualistic Shaiv Siddhans and the Monists comprised of the Trik and Karma traditions. The Shaiv Siddhantas maintained what they held to be a pure form of Shaivism. They were led primarily by Narayan Kant and his son Ramakant. Nath Sampradaya. Nath, also called Natha, are a Shaiv sub-tradition within Hinduism in India and Nepal. The Nathas have been a confederation of devotees who consider Shiva as their first lord or guru with varying lists of additional gurus. Of these, the 9th or 10th century Matasendranath and the ideas and organization mainly developed by Goraknath are particularly important. Goraknath is considered the originator of the Nath Panth. Veer Shaivas The Veer Shaivas or heroic Shaivas are the reformist Shaivite sect with approximately 6 million adherents located in the South India state of Karnataka. The movement originated along the border regions of Karnataka and Maharashtra in the mid-12th century, as is evident by their alternative moniker, the Lingayats, bearers of the Linga. The Linga represents the most important religious symbol of this group. The 14th day of the waning moon in the month of Fagun, occurring between February-March, is celebrated as Shivratri, the night of Lord Shiva. On this day, Shaivite temples are elaborately decorated with hordes of devotees lining up to offer obeisance to Lord Shiva. Shaktism prefers to worship of Goddess Shakti. Shakta Dharma is the science of cultivation of power. Its followers also consider the Shakta religion as old as the ancient Vedic religion. The followers of Shakti are often called Shaktas. Shaktism reveres the supreme as the divine mother Shakti or Devi in her many forms both gentle and fierce. Shaktas use Mantra, Tantra, Yantra, Yoga and Puja to invoke cosmic forces and awaken the Kundalini power. Shaktism focuses on the goddess generally called Devi. She is worshipped most often as the consort of Shiva but has also been raised to the status of the Supreme. Shakt tradition specifically worship Shiva's consort in her various forms such as Parvati, Durga, Kali, etc. The two other principal goddesses are Lakshmi and Saraswati. Shiva embodies the male principle and Shakti embodies the female. The two principles of Shaivism and Shaktism are complementary. Shakti, depicted in her green form, radiates beauty, energy, compassion, and protection for followers. Wearing the tilak of the Shakt sect on her forehead, she blesses devotees who shower rose water, hold an umbrella and prostrate at her feet. In the Shakt sect of Hindus, Bhagwati Kali and Lalita are considered to be the symbol of courage and supreme deity in the world. The roots of Shaktism burrow deep into India's prehistory. The earliest mother goddess figurine unearthed in India near Allahabad has been carbon dated back to the Upper Paleolithic approximately 20,000 BCE. Religious Texts In the Shakta Sampradaya, Sri Durga Bhagavad Puran is a major text about goddess Durga in which 108 Devi Peethas are described. Among them, 51 Shakti Peethas have a very important place. Durga Shaktasati is also there. Apart from this, Kalika Puran, Shakt Mahabhagavat and 65 Tantras are prominent. The major annual festivals 
throughout India dedicated specifically to the goddess include Navratra. Navratra is a festival celebrated for nine nights which begins in October. This festival is observed in Hindu lunar month called Ashwin. Bengalis celebrate Durga Puja during these nine days by paying their respect to the nine incarnations of Goddess Durga. On the first day, devotees worship the daughter of the mountain, Goddess Shailputri. On the second day, they worship Brahmacharini, the unmarried avatar of Goddess Parvati. The third day is dedicated to Chandra Ghanta. The fourth day, devotees worship Goddess Kushmanda, who is said to be the creative power of the universe. Fifth day is for the goddess Skandamata. On the sixth day, devotees worship warrior goddess Katyayani. On the seventh day, goddess Kalratri is worshipped. The eighth day is for goddess Mahagauri. The ninth day is dedicated to goddess Siddhidatri. On the last day, Vijayadashmi is celebrated when the idols are carried in processions and then immersed in water. Diwali, the festival of lights, which takes place in the Kartik Mass in November is celebrated nationally. During this festival, worshippers direct their devotions toward Lakshmi, praying for material prosperity and bountiful harvests. Lakshmi is also invoked during this festival so as to counteract the activities of demons. Durga Puja is the autumn festival of Durga which takes place in October and is celebrated nationally, although it is particularly popular in Bengal. This festival celebrates Durga's victory over the demon Mahisasur, saving both the earth and the heavens. During this time, elaborate idols of the goddess are assembled with every step of their construction, scrutinized by rites and rituals. The goddess is worshipped during this time as a guest on the earth. Kali Puja which takes place in October-November and is celebrated throughout all of India. The main purpose of the festival is to petition the goddess to destroy evil by diminishing the ego and all negative aspects of the human psyche that hinder spiritual progression and the accumulation of material prosperity. Menakshi Kalyanam, which takes place in April-May and is most popular in the regions of Madurai, Located in Tamil Nadu, this is the festival which commemorates the divine wedding of Goddess Meenakshi with Lord Sundareshwar, that is Shiva. Ornate images of the divine couple are marched in the grand processions through the streets and large numbers of umbrellas and fans are beautifully decorated and displayed during the festival. Ambubachi Mela is celebrated during June-July, specifically in Guwahati, Assam. This festival is held at the Kamakya temple in proximity to one of the most famous Shakti Pithas, where the great goddess is worshipped in the form of yoni-like stone over which a natural spring flows. Buddhism began in India during late 500 BCE from the teachings of a prince named Siddharth, who later came to be known as Gautam Buddha, meaning the enlightened one. Buddhists celebrate and revere the Buddha as an enlightened human being rather than as a god or an incarnation of God. The main source of faith and practice for Buddhists is the Dham, the teachings of the Buddha. It is one of the most important religions of South and Southeastern Asian countries. The religion is based upon the teachings, life experiences of its founder, 
Gautam Buddha born in Sirsa 563 BCE. At the age of 29, Gautam left home and rejected his life of riches and embraced a lifestyle of ascetism or extreme self-discipline. After 49 consecutive days of meditation, Gautam attained enlightenment under a tree at Bodhgaya, a village in Bihar. Buddha gave his first sermon in the village of Sarnath near the city of Banaras in UP. The event is known as Dharma Chakra Pravartan, running of the wheel of law. He died at the age of 80 years in 483 BCE at a place called Kushinagar, a town in UP. The event is known as Mahapari Nirban. Moral Code of Buddhism Buddha asked his followers to avoid the two extremes of indulgence in worldly pleasure and the practice of strict abstinence and ascetism. He ascribed instead the Madhyam Mark or the Middle Path which was to be followed. The main teachings of Buddhism are encapsulated in the basic concept of Four Noble Truths. Or the Four Noble Truths are Suffering. Dukkha is the essence of the world. Every suffering has a cause. Dukkha Samudaya. Suffering could be extinguished. Dukkha Nirodh. It can be achieved by following the Arya Ashtangic mark, the Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path consists of eight understandings and practices. First, right understanding. One should have the knowledge that the Four Noble Truths lead to overcoming Dukkha. Second, right thought. There should be a genuine wish to break free from desire. Right speech. Controlling one's speech so that it does not harm others. Buddhists will avoid lying or gossip. Right action. Avoiding actions that are harmful to oneself or any other living creature. Right livelihood. Earning a living in a way that does not cause harm or suffering to others. This involves avoiding professions that create or distribute weapons that promote intoxication or that involve the slaughter of animals. Right effort, paying attention continually to one's lifestyle. Right mindfulness, constant awareness about the effects of one's actions so as to avoid causing harm. Right concentration, attaining serenity by cultivating the mind through meditation. Birth is the reason of sorrow. Desire adds to the sorrow. To remove sorrow, one has to remove desire, which can be possible in the Noble Eightfold Path. The Buddha's teachings were oral. He taught for 45 years adapting the teaching to suit the group he was addressing. His teachings were written down around 25 BCE in Pali. The three Pitaks, Sutta Pitak, Vinay Pitak and Dhamma Pitak. Vinay Pitak consists of rules of conduct and discipline applicable to the monastic life of the monks and nuns. The Abhidham Pitak is a philosophical analysis and systematization of the teaching and the scholarly activity of the monks. The Sutta Pitak consists of the main teaching or Dham of Buddha. It is divided into five Nikayas or collection. They are Digh Nikaya, Majjhima Nikaya, Samyukt Nikaya, Anguth Nikaya, Khudak Nikaya. There are various schools of Buddhism, Mahayan, Mahayan school. 
The term Mahayan is a Sanskrit word which literally means great vehicle. It believes in the heavenliness of Buddha and idol worship of Buddha and Bodhisattvas. It originated in northern India and Kashmir and then spread into Central Asia, East Asia and some areas of Southeast Asia. Buddhist schools embedded in China, Korea, Tibet and Japan belong to the Mahayan tradition. Hinyan, literally lesser vehicle also known as abundant vehicle or defective vehicle. It believes in the original teachings of Buddha or doctrine of elders. It does not believe in idol worship and tries to attain individual salvation through self-discipline and meditation. Theravad. Theravad is a Hinayan sect. It is the most ancient branch of extant Buddhism today. It remains closest to the original teachings of Buddha. Theravad Buddhism developed in Sri Lanka and subsequently spread to the rest of Southeast Asia. It is the dominant form of religion in Cambodia, Laos, Myanmar, Sri Lanka and Thailand. Zen It is a school of Mahayana Buddhism that originated in China during the Tang dynasty. It spread to Japan in 7th century CE. Meditation is the most distinctive feature of this Buddhist tradition. Meditation is the most distinctive feature of this Buddhist tradition. Vajrayan. Vajrayan means the vehicle of the thunderbolt, also known as Tantric. The importance of meditation including concentration techniques such as the visualization of Bodhisattvas. We will also discuss various Buddhist councils. First council was held soon after the Mahaparinirvana of Buddha around 483 BC under the patronage of King Ajashatru and was presided by Mahakashyap Amon. The council was held in the Sapparni cave at Rajgriha. The council was held with the purpose of preserving Buddha's teachings and rules for disciples. During this council, the teachings of Buddha were divided into three pitaks. Second council was held in Vaishali, a village in Bihar under the patronage of the king Kalashok in 383 BC. It was presided by Sabgami. Third council was held in 250 BC in Patliputra under the patronage of Ashoka and was presided by Mogliputra Tis. Fourth council was held in 72 AD at Gundalvan in Kashmir. It was presided by Vasumitra while Ashwagosha was his deputy under the patronage of King Kanishk of Kushan Empire. Buddhism was divided into two sects in this council namely Mahayan and Hini. Various mudras related to Buddha. All those who are preparing for competitive exams are advised to take notes. Bhumi Sparsh Mudra one of the most common mudras found in statues of Buddha is Bhumi Sparsh Mudra. It depicts the Buddha sitting in meditation with his left hand, palm upright in his lap and his right hand touching the earth. This mudra is commonly associated with Blue Buddha known as Akshobhya. The significance of this mudra is that it is calling the earth to witness the truth and it represents the moment of Buddha attaining enlightenment. Second is Dhyan Mudra. Dhyan Mudra indicates meditation and is also called Samadhi or Yoga Mudra. It depicts Buddha with both hands in the lap, back of the right hand resting on the palm of the left hand with fingers extended. 
in many statues the thumbs of both hands are shown touching at the tips thus forming a mystic triangle it signifies attainment of spiritual perfection this mudra was used by buddha during the final meditation under the bodhi tree third is vitark mudra it indicates teaching and discussion or intellectual debate the tips of the thumb and index finger touch each other forming a circle the right hand is positioned at shoulder level and the left hand at the hip level in the lap with palm facing upwards it signifies the teaching phase of preaching in buddhism the circle formed by the thumb and index finger maintains the constant flow of energy as there is no beginning or end only perfection fourth is abhay mudra it indicates fearlessness and symbolizes strength and inner security the right hand is raised to shoulder height with arm bent the palm of the right hand faces outwards and the fingers are upright and joined the left hand hangs downwards by the side of the body this gesture was shown by buddha immediately after attaining enlightenment dharma chakra mudra it means turning the wheel of the dharma or law that is setting into motion the wheel of dharma this mudra involves both hands the right hand is held at chest level with the palm facing outwards a mystic circle is formed by joining the tips of the index finger and the thumb the left hand is turned inward and the index finger and thumb of this hand join to touch the right hand circle This gesture was exhibited by Lord Buddha while he preached the first sermon to a companion after his enlightenment in the deer park of Sarnath. Anjali Mudra This mudra signifies greetings, devotion and adoration. Both hands close to the chest, palms and fingers join against each other vertically. This is common gesture used in India to greet people for namaste. It signifies adoration of the superior and is considered a sign of regards with deep respect. It is believed that true buddhas those who are enlightened do not make this hand gesture and this gesture should not be shown in buddha statues. This is for bodhisattvas who aim and prepare to attain perfect knowledge. Uttara bodhi mudra it means supreme enlightenment. holding both hands at the level of the chest intertwining all the fingers except index fingers extending index fingers straight up and touching each other this mudra is known for charging one with energy it symbolizes perfection varad mudra it indicates charity compassion or granting wishes The right hand is extended in a natural position all the way down with the palm of the open hand facing outwards towards onlookers. If standing, the arm is held slightly extended to the front can be a left hand gesture as well. Through the five extended fingers, this mudra signifies five perfections: generosity, morality, patience, effort and meditative concentration. Karan mudra it indicates warding off evils hand is stretched out either horizontally or vertically with the palm forward the thumb presses the folded two middle fingers but the index and little fingers are raised straight upwards 
it signifies expelling demons and negative energy the energy created by this mudra helps remove obstacles such as sickness or negative thoughts vajra mudra it indicates knowledge this mudra is better known in korea and japan in this mudra the erect forefinger of the left hand is held in the fist of the right hand it is seen in the mirror inverted form also this mudra signifies the importance of knowledge or supreme wisdom knowledge is represented by the forefinger and the fist of the right hand protects it jainism traditionally known as jain dharma is an ancient indian religion the followers of jainism are called jains a word derived from the sanskrit word jin which means victor and connoting the path of victory in crossing over life's stream of rebirths through an ethical and spiritual life jains trace their history through a succession of 24 great teachers known as tirthankars with the first being rishabdev who is believed to have lived millions of years ago and 24th being the mahavira around 500 bce the jains believe that jainism is an eternal dharm with the tirthankars guiding every cycle of the jain cosmology 24 tirthankars in jainism a tirthankar is an omniscient teacher who preaches the dharm that is the righteous path there are 24 tirthankars who were born in royal families last tirthankar mahavir also known as vardhaman was the 24th and last jain tirthankar mahavir is often mistakenly called the founder of jainism though this is not the case since the 23rd tirthankar parshvanath who was his immediate predecessor is a historical figure he was born into a royal family in what is now bihar india in 599 bc at the age of 30 he left his home in pursuit of spiritual awakening and abandoned worldly things including his clothes and became a digambar monk for the next 12 and a half years Mahavira practiced intense meditation and severe penance after which he became kewal that is omniscient a tirthankar is represented either seated in padmasan or standing in the meditation kayotsar posture tirthankar idols look similar and are differentiated on the basis of symbol of emblem belonging to each tirthankar the symbols are marked in center or in the corner of the pedestal of statue both sex of jainism digambar and shwetambar depiction of idols is different digambar images are naked without any beautification whereas shwetambar ones are often marked with srivats on the chest and tilak on forehead let us see the 24 tirthankars with their symbols rishabh ajitnath sambhavnath abhinandan swami sumatinath padma prabhu suparshvanath chanda prabhu suvidinath sheetalnath shreyanshnath vasupujya vimalnath ananthnath dharmanath shantinath kuntunath arhanath mallinath muni subrat naminath neminath parshvanath and mahavir jains are divided into two major sects the digambar which is the sky clad and the shwetambar that is the white clad sect 
these are further divided into different subsects and traditions while there are differences in practices the core philosophy of main principles of each sect is same digambar the skyclad is one of the two main sects of jainism they carry only a peachy made up of fallen peacock feathers and kamandal shwetambars which are the white clad is the other main sect of jainism shwetambar is a term describing its ascetics practice of wearing white clothes which sets it apart from the digambar whose ascetic practitioners go naked shwetambar monks and nuns cover their mouth with a white cloth or mupatti to practice ahimsa even when they talk three jewels jains believe that non injury is the highest religion the path of dharma that is truth or teaching that jainism advocates was one of strict asceticism renunciation and moral cultivation jainism instructs the followers to cultivate the three jewels of right belief right knowledge and right conduct that is samyak darshan samyak gyan and samyak charitra five vows emerging from these three jewels and relating to right conduct are the five vows ahimsa that is non violence satya that is truthfulness aste that is non stealing aparigraha that is non acquisition and brahmacharya that is chaste living there are two forms of the five vows mahavrat and anuvrat mahavrat is that the five great vows followed by jain monks and nuns and anuvrat is the lesser vows followed by jain lay people these are less strict version of the great vows ahimsa that is non violence among these five vows non violence or ahimsa is the cardinal principle of jainism and hence it is known as the cornerstone of jainism non violence is the supreme religion ahimsa paramo dharma it is repeatedly said in jain literature do not injure abuse oppress enslave insult torment torture or kill any creature or living being according to jainism all living beings are equal no living being has a right to harm injure or kill any other living being including animals insects and plants violence of every type should be completely forbidden mental tortures by the way of harsh words actions and any type of bodily injuries should also be avoided even thinking evil of someone is considered violence in jainism jainism has classified all the living beings according to their senses the five senses are touch taste smell sight and hearing living being of five senses are humans animals birds heavenly and hellish beings living being of four senses are flies and bees living being of three senses are ants lizards etc living being of two senses are worms leeches etc living being with one sense are plants water air earth fire etc it is more painful if a life of the higher forms of more than one sense is killed hence jainism allows lay people to use only vegetables as food for survival all non vegetarian food is made by killing a living being with two or more senses therefore jainism preaches strict vegetarianism and prohibits non vegetarian foods 
Jainism explains that violence is not defined by actual harm for this may be unintentional. It is the intention to harm, the absence of compassion, unawareness and the ignorance that makes an action violent. Without violent thought, there can be no violent actions. Non-violence is to be observed in action, speech and thought. One should not be violent, ask others to do so or approve of such an activity. Satya, that is truth. Anger, greed, fear and jokes are the breeding grounds of untruth. To speak the truth requires moral courage. Only those who have conquered greed, fear, anger, jealousy, ego and frivolity can speak the truth. Jainism insists that one should not only refrain from falsehood but should always speak the truth which should be wholesome and pleasant. One should remain silent in the truth if the truth causes pain, hurt, anger or death of any living being. Truth is to be observed in speech, mind and deed. One should not utter an untruth, ask others to do so or approve of such activities. Achorye, Aste or Non-Stealing Stealing consists of taking another's property without his consent or by unjust or immoral methods. Further, one should not take anything which does not belong to him. It does not entitle one to take away a thing which may be lying, unattended or unclaimed. One should observe this vow very strictly and should not touch even a worthless thing, which does not belong to him. When accepting alms, help or aid, one should not take more than what is minimum needed. The vow of non-stealing insists that one should be totally honest in action, thought and speech. One should not steal, ask others to do so or approve of such activities. Brahmacharya or celibacy. Total abstinence from sensual pleasure and the pleasure of all five senses are called celibacy. Sensual pleasure is an infatuating force which sets aside all virtues and reason at the time of indulgence. This vow of controlling sensuality is very difficult to observe in its subtle form. One may refrain from physical indulgence but may still think of the pleasures of sensualism which is prohibited in Jainism. Monks are required to observe this vow strictly and completely. They should not enjoy sensual pleasures and pleasure of all five senses. There are several rules laid down for observing this vow for householders. They should not have any physical relationship other than own spouse. The relationship with your own spouse should be of limited nature. Aparigraha that is non-attachment or non-possession. Jainism believes that attachment to worldly objects results in the bondage of the cycle of birth and death. Therefore, one who desires of spiritual liberation should withdraw from all attachments to pleasing objects of all the five senses. Monks observe this vow by giving up attachments to all things such as material things which include wealth, 
prosperity grains house books clothes etc relationships with father mother spouse children friends enemies other monks disciples etc pleasure of five senses that is touch taste smell sight and hearing and feelings pleasure and painful feelings towards any objects they have an equanimity towards music and noise good and bad smell soft and hard objects for touch beautiful and dirty sights etc they do not eat food for taste but for survival with the intention to continue to progress spirituality and ultimately to attain liberation non possession and non attachment are to be observed in speech mind and deed jainism has laid down and described in much detail these five great vows for the path of liberation jain philosophy jain philosophy separates body that is matter from the soul that is consciousness completely jain philosophy deals with reality cosmology epistemology that is study of knowledge and vitalism the concept of non injury or ahimsa lies at the core of jain philosophy jain philosophy attempts to explain the rationale of being and existence the nature of the universe and its constituents the nature of bondage and the means to achieve liberation tatva jain philosophy explains that seven tatva constitute reality these are jeev that is the soul which is characterized by consciousness ajeev that is the known soul asarv that is influx inflow of auspicious and evil karmic matters into the soul band that is bondage mutual intermingling of soul and karmas samvar that is stoppage obstruction of the inflow of karmic matter into the soul nirjara that is gradual disassociation separation of falling off of part of karmic matter from the soul moksha that is liberation complete annihilation of all karmic matter bound with any particular soul the knowledge of these seven tatva is said to be essential for the liberation of the soul doctrine of relativity the universe is the composite of groups consisting of adverse pairs like knowledge and ignorance pleasure and sorrow life and death and so on life depends on such adverse groups all the groups have their own interests which create clashes and conflicts in thinking among themselves religion is supposed to pacify these clashes through coexistence on socialistic pattern of society the coexistence cannot be remained without relativity jainism has propounded three doctrines of relativity used for logic and reasoning they are anekantvad syadvad and nayvad anekantvad anekantvad meaning non absolutism is one of the basic principles of jainism that encourages acceptance of relativism and pluralism according to this doctrine truth and reality are perceived differently from different points of view and no single point of view is the complete truth The word anekantvad is a compound of two Sanskrit words anekant meaning many foldedness and vad means school of thought. Syadvad Syadvad advocates that the predications are conditioned which is an expression to anekant. It recommends that the epithet syad should be attached to all the expressions. Syadvad does not only extends anekant philosophy but 
it is a separate system of logic which has its strong force the sanskrit etymological root of the term syad is perhaps or maybe but in context of syadwad it means in some ways or from a perspective reality is a complex phenomena and no single proposition is capable enough to express the nature of reality as a whole this theory says that syad should be prefixed before each expression so that a conditional point of view can be given in the statement to remove dogmatism since it ensures that each statement is expressed from seven different conditional and relative viewpoints or propositions it is known as the theory of conditioned predication these seven prepositions also known as saptbhangi are syadasti in some ways it is syadnasti in some ways it is not syadasti nasti in some ways it is and it is not syadasti avyaktavya in some ways it is and it is indescribable syadnasti avyaktavya in some ways it is not and it is indescribable syadasti nasti avyaktavya in some ways it is it is not and it is indescribable syad avaktavya in some ways it is indescribable each of these seven propositions examines the complex and multifaceted reality from a relative point of view of time space substance and mode naivad the theory of partial viewpoints or standpoints is known as naivad naivad is made of two sanskrit words nay which means partial view of point and vad which means school of thought naivad is the system of jain philosophy which is used to come to a certain conclusion from a point of view all objects may be having infinite aspects but it is observed that when one describes it one speaks of only relevant aspects and other irrelevant aspects are ignored for example when one talks of a white mercedes one simply considers the brand and the color of the car but does not mean but that does not mean that the car is not having other attributes like engine type navigation panel speed price and choice dan that is charity the jain religion recognizes the fundamental natural phenomena of interdependence known as paraspar upgraho jivanam that is interdependence the jain scriptures have not only laid down well thought out conditions to be observed while giving dan but also considerably widened the scope and extent of dan by recipient's point of view and from contents of dan the dan with reference to its recipients has also been divided into two classes patradan and karunadan the patradan means gifts or offerings made with respect and devotion to worldly recipients and in accordance with necessary conditions laid down for observance by people however the karunadan means gifts or offerings made out of compassion to anyone who deserves it being hungry thirsty deceased distressed disabled helpless etc karunadan is characterized in four kinds as ahadan that is charity of food aushtidan that is charity of medicine abhedan that is charity of shelter protection from danger attack intimidation or attack
शास्त्र दान और विद्या दान दैट इज चैरिटी ऑफ बुक्स एंड इम्पॉर्टिंग ऑफ नॉलेज दीज फोर काइंड ऑफ चैरिटी टूगेदर इज टर्म्ड एज चतुर्विद दान दैट इज फोर फोल्ड चैरिटी सलेखना सलेखना ऑल्सो नोन एज संथारा समाधि मरण और संन्यास मरण इज अ सप्लीमेंट्री वॉ टू द एथिकल कोड ऑफ कंडक्ट ऑफ जर्निज्म इट इज अ रिलीजियस प्रैक्टिस ऑफ वॉलेंटेरली फास्टिंग टू डेथ by gradually reducing the intake of food and liquids it is viewed in jainism as the thinning of human passions and the body another means of destroying rebirth influencing karma by withdrawing all physical and mental activities it is not considered as a suicide by jain scholars because it is not an act of passion nor does it deploy poisons or weapons After the Sallikna vow the ritual preparation and practice can extend into years those who undertake Sallikna are revered by fellow Jains and their deaths are celebrated publicly there is a debate about the practice from a right to life and a freedom of religion viewpoint in 2015 the Rajasthan High Court banned the practice considering its suicide later that year the supreme court of india stayed the decision of the rajasthan high court and lifted the ban on salekhna moksha and nirvan in jainism it is the highest and the noblest objective that a soul should strive to achieve in fact it is the only objective that a person should have with the right view knowledge and efforts all souls can attain this state that is why jainism is also known as moksha marg or the path of liberation jain symbols jain icons and arts incorporate symbols such as swastik and om swastik the swastik is an important jain symbol its four arms symbolize the four realms of existence in which rebirth occurs according to jainism humans heavenly beings hellish beings and non-humans plants and animals it is usually shown with the three dots on the top which represent the three jewels right knowledge right understanding and right belief these jewels are the means believed in jainism to lead one to the state of spiritual perfection a state that is systematically represented by a crescent and one dot on the top representing the liberated soul symbol of ahimsa the hand and a wheel on the palm symbolizes ahimsa in jainism with ahimsa written in the middle the wheel represents the dharma chakra which stands for the resolve to halt and sansar through the relentless pursuit of ahimsa om the om symbol is also used in ancient jain scriptures and represent the five lines of the navkar mantra jain flag the five colors of the jain flag represent the panch parmeshti and the five vows small as well as great white represents the arihants souls who have conquered all passions it also denotes peace or ahimsa red represents the siddh souls that have attained salvation and truth it also denotes satya yellow represents the acharya the master of adepts the color also stands for acharya green represents the upadhyay those who teach scriptures to monks it also signifies 
brahmacharya black represents the jain ascetics it also signifies a parigraha festivals the most important annual jain festival is called the paryushan by shwetambars and das lakshan parv by digambars these festivals are basically the celebration of virtues advocated by jainism the 10 universal virtues celebrated during this festival are uttam shama that is supreme forgiveness to observe tolerance wholeheartedly and forgive everyone uttam martha that is tenderness or humility to observe the virtue of humility subduing vanity and passions uttam arjav that is straightforwardness and honesty to practice a deceit free conduct in life by vanquishing the passion of deception uttam satya that is truthfulness to speak truthful and just words with a holy intention causing no injury to any living being uttam shauch that is contentment or purity to keep the body mind and speech pure uttam sayam that is self restraint to defend all living beings with utmost power in a cosmopolitan spirit abstaining from all the pleasures provided by the five senses touch taste smell sight and hearing and the sixth is mind uttam tap that is penance and austerities to practice austerities putting a check on all worldly allurements uttam tyag that is renunciation renunciation of all possessions and to assist social and religious institutions uttam akinchanya that is non attachment to enhance faith in the real self and against non self material objects and to discard internal parigraha that is anger and pride and external parigraha that is accumulation of wealth and uttam brahmacharya that is chastity and celibacy to observe the great vow of celibacy and to discard cardinal desires if you want to know about any other religious practices of india please leave it in the comment box so that i can come back with it if you have liked the video please like share and subscribe thank you